Welcome to the WinFL Show. Welcome to the WinFL Show. I'm your host, Ian McKinnon. I'm joined this week by Jake McGee and Dave Somerville. Gentlemen, how are we doing? A humble pie is all I'm going to say. We'll leave it at that just now. Jake, how are you? The trials and tribulations of week one, I, I came out unscathed, really, compared to you two, so... Yeah, we can we can go into that later. Um, week one is in the bag. All the results from week one have been done. No going back and changing what's happened already, unfortunately. Some of us would like to do that. Coming up this show, we're going to do the roundup for week one. Obviously, we've got news, of course. Um, and then we're going to look at a preview uh, for week two. That's going to be the second half. And then, of course, we will finish with our random stats. Uh, but we do have to start with the news. So, Jake, handing it over to you. Can you tell us what's been happening uh, uh, in and around the NFL in the news this week. Yeah, so there's been a couple of extensions, uh, and then I'll go into the injury roundup. So extension-wise, there was Darren Waller, um, three years, 51 million extension. Uh, New Deal has a base value of 25 million over the next two years, 2.55 million in active roster bonuses, and received 19.25 fully guaranteed at sign-in. Certainly seems to be a more front-loaded contract with a chance of either being extended again, maybe going forward, because in 2024 it goes down to 12 million, 2025 is 13 million, and 15 million in 2026. So it says three-year, 51 mil extension. It feels more like a two-year bonus for him. For So that's what I read into it anyway. Uh, but it feels well-deserved uh, and a key part of the offense. Definitely was a, an absolutely spectacular player when he's on fire. You know, he certainly, I think, warrants that kind of extension. Uh, Dave, do you, what do you think about that? I just want to echo what Jake said there. I think he is a massive part of that offense. But, uh, excuse me, at the same time, I think uh, it's kind of been a bit of time coming as well. He's, he deserves it. And I think, yeah, it's the, it's an A-plus from me anyway. You can't, I don't think they're going wrong there, but... Yeah, good for him, and you're finally getting his big payday. And like Jake said, it's it does seem like a more two year uh, heavy payday on on the front. So yeah, good for him. Uh, and then another gentleman getting paid what he deserves is Quinton Nelson, uh, four year, eighty million extension with sixty million in guarantees. Uh, makes him the highest paid guard in the NFL, probably by some distance. Because um, that's frankly left tackle kind of numbers, but it's hard to argue that he's not the best or, or among the best uh, guard in the league. Uh, and there's a reason why Jonathan Taylor does so well behind him. Yeah, I mean, you could argue he's one of the best uh, offensive linemen full stop, if not the mm-hmm. best. He's He's been absolutely spectacular. So good for him, another big extension there. And also, yeah. don't don't forget that also he was part he was picked up by the Colts as part of the Jets trade for Sam Darnold when they traded up. So that's what the Colts got out of that. Well, I wonder who won that deal. <laughs> Sam Darnold okay definitely not Sam Darnold maybe on his payday but apart from that yeah big up the Colts um, so that, that, those were two extensions and then most of the other news is focused around injuries um, few players going around on IR few players sadly done for the season well, I think just before we just before we go to the injuries, Jake uh, we should perhaps mention the fact that a, uh, an extension wasn't signed by Mr. Lamar Jackson. Ooh. Um, so we're not actually sure what's happening with Lamar now. He's playing this year. We know that. Um, and they've been said that they may attempt to franchise tag him next year. Is that correct? Have I got that right? 
Yeah, they've got two opportunities to franchise tag him, basically. Same as it's going to be a a Kirk Cousins-esque. Yeah, um, from what I read, um, it looked like the offer that was made to Lamar Jackson was a sizable offer, but the guaranteed money was less than uh, some other players. And Lamar's basically just sitting there saying, nope, not having it. Don't want to toot our own horns, but something that I brought up and that we brought up um, in the early iteration of our, you know, of this podcast was Lamar Jackson and the fact that I don't think he's going to sign a contract. I don't think he frankly wants to uh, entertain an offer unless it's going to be, um, you know, fully guaranteed. He is his own agent, um, basically. Uh, and I said this, and, and we all spoke about it previously, where I can very much see it turning out to be a franchise tag or or two franchise tags, and then, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's then got his pick of the market. I, I don't yeah. think he's in any rush, and I think that proves it with the offer that was given to him. On paper, it was apparently $49 million per year, uh, $133 mil fully guaranteed. You know, good numbers putting him right near the top end, um, but, you know, he's sticking to his guns. He knows what he wants, he knows what he's worth, and he's banking on himself. Hard not to back yourself when you are Lamar Jackson. I mean, he's... He deserves to be, I think, joint. I'd say right up the top as the either the highest paid quarterback or jointly as the highest paid quarterback. It could suit more to do a kind of Kirk Cousins one year sort of 60, 70 million contract. I think that would suit him more. Um, wasn't it? We, we mentioned it uh, on previous podcasts. Wasn't it Fitzmagic that said he would take, uh, you know, sort of what one $10 million contract rather than 10, 100 million? Uh, 10 year 100 million dollar contract something along those lines but you know Lamar knows his worth the Ravens knows his worth however the Ravens just didn't quite bump up the deal enough for him so and obviously he's his own agent he's got no kind of there's no agent fees or anything along those lines so good for him stick to your guns sure, we we can, we know what he can do and then he's going to be doing it probably for the next 2 years i assume the Ravens are going to franchise tag him and take full advantage of that so um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't see him signing a 10-year, uh, half a billion uh, contract like Patrick Mahomes did, but I think Lamar's going to be at the... I, I do think they are going to work out the contract eventually. I, I, I do think they're going to have to really break the bank here, though. Uh, and he is he is just a dream quarterback to have. So, again, good for the player. Not so great for the team at this point. But, you know, what, what, if, if, it was, if he was to be traded... What would the Ravens demand for him? The next 10 years worth of first-round picks? I mean, the Rams don't have any of them, as I don't think, left. So I, I, I can't imagine him turning up in L.A. anytime soon. How but, did uh, we get to the Rams? Seriously. It just kind of fell out. But, you know, I, good, good for Lamar anyway. So before we carry on uh, with the news section there, I should point out to our listeners that our own very own Jake McGee, uh, he's pretty much an injured reserve himself. He's got himself a <laughs> bit of a physical physical ailment. Jake, would you like to tell us exactly what happened to you there, pal? No, not really. <laughs> but, <laughs> we'll just put it down as a, as a week one injury, you know? I think, um, yeah, I, I think I'm what happened was Jake was uh, fighting uh, some bears. There was, there was 12 of them, I think it was, and uh, of course, he won that fight, but he came out uh, not totally unscathed. Uh, was that, that was roughly what happened, wasn't it, Jake? I, th- I thought it was oh. more he, he was fending off some falcons. I think that's what <laughs> <laughs> there was. There was plenty of falcons that he was fending off, but he just came out on top. 
if I was defending the Falcons, I would have won. If I was fighting the Bears, I would have lost. Um, <laughs> but I'm looking at four to six weeks. So, yeah, they put me on the IR. Um, <laughs> se- seemingly, I was the first casualty of a, a long list here. So we'll try and rattle through them. Um, Elijah Mitchell, um, MCL sprain, joins me on the IR, uh, likely missing two months. Um, Dak, uh, fra- he has a fracture in the thumb, apparently. It requires some surgery. I'm going to miss multiple weeks. Now, Dallas has said they're not going to put him on the IR, so they're obviously hopeful. Um, it's only going to be two or three weeks, but I would, I'd be surprised. Um, TJ Watt, again, good news, kind of. Uh, pectoral injury, but didn't tear the tendon, so it doesn't require surgery. They estimate six weeks for that. Um, Chiefs first round cornerback Trent McDuffie on IR with a hamstring, which means he's out at least four games. Jamal Adams has a serious knee injury. Uh, Pete Carroll said something along the lines of a quadriceps tendon. Uh, there's no date on that, but that does not sound too promising. Uh, more good news in terms of Mike Jones, just back spasms rather than any major issues. Not so good news for the Ravens. Cornerback Cal Fuller torn ACL. He's done for the year. And the backup left tackle who started because their starting left tackle was injured, Juwan James, tore his Achilles, and he's done for the year. Similar to Eagles pass rusher Derek Barnett tore ACL. He's out for the year. I just thinking that um, the Cowboys not putting Dak on IR seems very, very optimistic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a, you know it's it's his throwing hand. That's I mean <laughs> the guy's a quarterback. Um, I don't know if, if either of you guys have ever damaged anything on your on your, your dominant hand. If you've ever, you know, uh, pulled a tendon or, you know, if you've ever torn anything. It's really hard to do anything when you've damaged your, your, your dominant hand. It's, it's just it's simple things. You know, tying your laces, p- pulling up a zip. These things are difficult. I cannot imagine what it must be like for a quarterback with a damaged thumb on his throwing hand. Because remember, to get that spin on the ball, you've got to be able to grip the ball. Now, when Peyton Manning had his neck surgeries um, and going through the off-season from 2014 into 2015, he was complaining about numbness in his fingertips, just the Mm -hmm. tips of his fingers. It's like pins and needles. We saw, yeah, and we saw what happened to him in the 2015 season, because mm-hmm. he couldn't get the proper feel on the ball. I mean, he was throwing ducks all over the place. Did, you know, if Dak can't grip the ball, that, that's it. And and to think that if he's torn a tendon, four weeks is the most optimistic thing I've ever heard. Six weeks, I think, is optimistic. I'd be very, very surprised if we see him... Um, well, what are we now? So, you know, second week of September, October, November. I'll be surprised we've seen before the end of November. Well, we, we could we could go to someone with first-hand experience of damaging the, uh, something on the dominant side of their body. So, Jake, do you have anything to say that we could maybe help us out with that? You know, it's some of the simpler things. Is it difficult? It's been a nightmare. <laughs> you don't realize how how good you have it until you don't. I've had to learn how to like brush my teeth with my other hand. I, I've, I typing my my job requires typing. That has not been fun. It, yeah, I feel for poor Dak. Thankfully, uh, my job is not as stressful as his. But you know, I don't get paid nearly as much. So you know, that's where my sympathy ends with him. 
Yeah, it kind of softens the blow a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, so we'll move on, and we will now be looking at our review, our week one review. Here we go, gentlemen, and we kick it off Thursday night football, the Buffalo Bills at the Super Bowl champion, Los Angeles Rams at SoFi Stadium. And it didn't go the way that David hoped it would go. In fact, it, it didn't go the way I think any of us predicted it would go. Um, the Buffalo Bills absolutely romped their way to a 31-10 victory. Josh Allen looked fantastic. Von Miller looked like he was 23 again. And it just, the Rams, despite some, some nice catches by Cooper Cup, Stafford made some good throws. It's not like the Rams played particularly badly. I think they simply got overpowered on the night by a superior opponent. Um, I'll hand it over to you. I don't know if you want to talk about it just now, Dave. Rams, Bills, what do you reckon? Uh, I mean, I, I, I think it was by the end of the first quarter, I feared the worst. That the Bills were, the, the defensive line were just unreal. Uh, they they were brilliant. Obviously, Josh Allen and the offense. You know, they racked up thirty one points, but what they did on that defensive line, and then when the de- uh, when the Rams' defensive line were just about getting through, they uh, they just took Jalen Ramsey out the game. He was targeted seven times, and they they made six completions for you know a touchdown and multiple multiple yards. It was painful to watch. I was so happy to go into the half even and i don't think i've ever said that about a rams game in my life but wow the bills are the real deal and yeah i think twitter blew up with uh how uh, cam Akers wasn't getting a chance for that running back but you know there's a few questions around that but take nothing away from the bills they absolutely humbled us and i think it Really, that sent a message to the entire NFL. The Bills are the real deal, and they are rightfully the favourites for this year. So, yeah, I'm done. I'm just, I'm, I'll go cry now. Uh, the tear. I don't think I'm cried out. Maybe actually, but um, yeah, uh, massive, massive. Uh, well done to the Bears. Uh, to the Bears, definitely not to the Bears, but the Bills. Yes, <laughs> definitely to the Bills. I, I don't even want to talk about Josh Allen anymore, but he was fantastic as well as the entire Bills defense. So. Congratulations, sadly. Yeah, I mean, Stefan Diggs was just, he absolutely smoked Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. It, it looked like, I mean, he had however many catches for 140 yards, however it was. He could have had double that. He, mm-hmm. he, Ramsey did not have an answer for it. Uh, Jake, uh, what were your views in the game? Yeah, I was, I was, I stayed up. I was messaging Dave throughout and I echoed his thoughts in terms of at half time. We were both like, wow, the Rams, to, to even be level is impressive because. The Bills had four turnovers. They had a messy first half, but it just always felt like they were in control. Um, They've not punted in four of their last six games. And then I saw this incredible stats. The Bills' defense did not blitz on any dropbacks. Mm -hmm. Now, Matthew Stafford led the NFL with 139.6 pass rating versus the blitz. That's why they didn't do it. Um, But the Bills account for all three games in the next generation era where one team had zero blitzes. So they're, they're a master of this. Leslie Frazier, the the DC, the former head coach, just absolutely out out coached them. Really, the, the other two games they've done it were against Kansas City. You know, they play these big, powerful teams with great quarterbacks, and they just play smart defense, and it and it works. Yeah, and and they got they got some insane pressure 
on Stafford without blitzing at all. Uh, so that was the uh, Bills and the Rams. So now move on to the Sunday games and the afternoon games. And wouldn't you know it, the New Orleans Saints at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium with the Atlanta Falcons. And the Saints, it was a close one, Jake, but they did it. 27-26, and for most of the game, it didn't look like they were going to do it. So let's hand it over to you, Jake. Dawn, tell us about your Saints. Um, just awful, awful um, lot to kind of go through with the Saints. For, for three quarters, we looked putrid. Uh, the offense didn't really play at all during preseason, and it took them three quarters to, to wake up. I mean, with 11 minutes to go, the Falcons were 26-10 to 10 up. Um, we, we'd mentioned uh, Cordell Patterson, and he was just as much as a problem as we thought. Uh, young Wei Koo, that the kicker, just absolutely automatic. He missed one kick. It was, I think, the 63, 64 yards to, mm-hmm. win, to win the game. So mm-hmm. that's not exactly his fault. I mean, Drake London um, looked phenomenal. We kept Cal Pitts quiet, which was something. That was a, a small win. Um, but overall, I was just thankful by the end of it that we managed to, to claw our way back. I mean... The wide receivers, and once Jameis got rolling in the fourth quarter, looked like what you expected. Um, you know, it was fantastic to see Michael Thomas back, grabbing two touchdowns. Landry, 114 yards, including just an incredible catch on the final drive. We've got Taysom Hill back to his best, just being a Swiss Army knife rather than trying to throw the ball because he can't throw the ball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was worrying... Some of the things I saw, one one of the things that I was watching and it just screamed out to me, Mark Ingram on a third and six, he missed his block. You know, he's he's supposed to pick up a linebacker. A linebacker comes, he misses his block. That's bad. Winston somehow, I don't know how, flips the ball out to Ingram to avoid the sack. So I was like, oh, well done. We're going to turn this nightmare into a positive gain. Ingram then goes about two yards, fumbles, and then gives him the ball. I was just like, what a night. That just summed up uh, most of the afternoon. We were very lucky um, to come away with a win. The Falcons probably deserved to win, uh, but they just continue to be the Atlanta Falcons and find ways to lose games from dominant positions. So that, to me, is very funny. It's it's almost impressive how fought the Falcons seem to keep losing these games that they absolutely should be winning and I don't understand it I'm not going to pretend to uh, just before I hand over to you Dave one thing I will mention over the past few years um, I have Jake you'll know this I've been one of Michael Thomas's more vocal detractors um, but I am you know I'm ready to eat some humble pie here because when it mattered and Winston was zipping those balls in. The way Thomas just plucks those passes out of the air is a thing of beauty. He looked like a man on a mission, and he really made a huge difference to the Saints there. So I, I think perhaps I certainly uh, did not appreciate the difference Michael Thomas made to that Saints offense. And he looked mighty. He, if he stays healthy, he could be in for a huge year this year. So, fair play. I was wrong. Michael Thomas, absolute superstar. Uh, Dave, what do you reckon about the Saints over the Falcons? Uh, just, uh, just to echo exactly what you were saying, Thomas, what a comeback. He, and he, all he has to do now is stay fit. And the amount of yards, the amount of touchdowns he could get this year, the sky's the limit for him. I think Jameis is really coming into himself. I think he's showing maturity in the way that he's playing. Um, but 
yeah, the Falcon. It's just it's it's comedy now. It, it's just it's got it's a yearly thing, if not even a weekly thing. It's almost becoming with the Falcons. They, I mean, they were they were flying. Okay, no pun intended with the Falcons thing there, but uh, they they were flying, and in the fourth quarter, it's just it's hard to it's hard to feel well to not feel bad for the fans because there were seventy thousand in the Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta, and they were you know they were quite happy going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, and Young Hoku, I think he, he scored a field goal just into the fourth you know, quarter, I, I remember. I'm sorry to interrupt you there, Dave. I don't think the fans were happy going into the fourth quarter because it's think Atlanta. So? <laughs> because, no, and, and listen, I know that sounds like, you know, like, oh, that's, you know, I'm picking on the Falcons. I'm not. There's some time, do you know what it's like? It's, it's like being on the other side of the ball, up by 10 when Tom Brady's there in the fourth quarter. Hmm. I, and it's this inevitability and you're like we're not safe we're yeah. not safe and the falcons know this better than anyone but yes. this happens time and time again to the falcons and you just think why can they not close out games now you mentioned james winston there 23 mm-hmm. of 34 269 yards two touchdowns pass a rating of 111 james winston Played really well. It just mm-hmm. didn't look like it through the first three quarters. The Falcons' defense played really well those first three quarters, they did. and then they just collapsed. So um, it was it, my goodness. Yeah, absolutely um, broke a new record. The Saints were zero and two hundred eight prior uh, to the game when trailing sixteen points in the fourth quarter. So now we're one. And 208. And these records, these stats that come out, it's always the Atlanta Falcons. It always is. It's always like you see something like, well, you know, in the history of the NFL, when a team has been leading by 14 and and won the turnover battle 5 nothing, and they're they're 500 and 0. And now they're 501 because of the Atlanta. It's always, it's just insane how this keeps happening to them. And, you know, if there are any Falcons fans out there, you know, I'm sorry, we're not trying to pile it on, but my goodness, something's got to give with these Falcons. Yeah. At what point would these fans feel safe going into the fourth quarter? What do you change, though? Do you ch- is it the, the the backroom staff? Is it the coaching? Is it Or is it just the players? I mean, is it I, just no, all I, of it? I, I don't think it's... I think there's certain things that they need to do, but in my opinion, it all comes down to the play calling. Most mm-hmm. of it offensively. Because once again, in the entire fourth quarter, they managed one field goal. It's yeah. not like they only had one possession. And this is where it always comes down to. They can't close out these games because they can't make first downs. They can't score points. And for some reason, the other teams just seemed to be able to move the ball all of a sudden on the defense. It's, it's bizarre. I don't understand it. I don't know what you could do short of clearing every single person out of the building and then just bringing a few in one at a time. Start with Cordell Patterson. You know, and they then... Do, I was say, they do feel snake bit because near the end of the fourth quarter when they were still leading, they were on a third and short. I think it was third and one, maybe third and two. Uh, Marcus Mariota uh, fumbled the snap. He was going to. Do, I think it looked like it was going to be a quarterback sneak, a very easy, you know, pick up the first down, probably run out the clock, if not leave very little time, and he fumbled the snap. And the Saints got to stop it. And just I will, like you said, just they find a way. Yeah, and I will bet you at that point, every single Falcons fan 
just groaned as if to say, here we go again. They, they must have been. It's just, ah, I don't know. I, I like the Falcons. I know you don't take, you know, d- uh, division rivals. I understand that. Uh, I, I like them. I want them to do well. And they disappoint me all the time. That's just, I, it's it's getting really hard. I'm not, a, you know, I'm a Broncos fan. I'm not a Falcons fan. But I get so upset when they continue to do this. Like, well, for once, for once, just hold on to a lead. It's unbelievable. Anyway, we should move on. We should definitely move on to the next game. And wouldn't you know it, the next game, gentlemen, um, what we have here is the Cleveland Browns at the Carolina Panthers, Bank of America Stadium. It looked for all the world like the Browns were going to absolutely just clobber the Panthers. Baker Mayfield couldn't get anything done. The Browns' defense was great. The Panthers' defense was rotten. And then in the fourth quarter things started to change and for a split second looked like the Panthers were going to do it winning you know 24 to 23 and then it was a series of events on that final drive by the Browns uh, which culminated in a a game-winning field goal by Cade York 58 yards uh, for for the Cleveland Browns to win it 26-24 but that final drive Jake do you want to take this one first what have you got to say about this uh, yeah, they're just the NFL um, helping out their their poster child to the Cleveland Browns now. Uh, an awful, awful roughing the passer call uh, on at the start of the the final drive, where um, Brian Burns pushed the tackle back into the the quarterback. The tackle hit the quarterback in the face, and they called roughing the passer on the defensive end, which was interesting. Uh, and then right near the end, the spike which wasn't a spike, but then was a spike, wasn't called intentional grounding, even though it was intentional grounding, um, which would have obviously put them out of field goal range. It yeah, just... I, I, I did see some people saying, oh, that's not intentional grounding because he didn't fake the spike. You don't have to fake the spike for that to be, and then spike for that to be intentional grounding. Um, I think we all remembered, uh, was it Kirk Cousins getting called for that? For delaying before spiking. And that was intentional the... grounding. The Saints got pulled up for intentional grounding. Uh, the Jaguars got pulled up twice for intentional grounding this week, but somehow the Browns avoided it. Um, it was very dubious. I mean, it's the first week one win since 2004 for the Browns. You mentioned Cade York. He went four for four. He was the only kicker drafted this year. Uh, four for four, 58-yard winner. His best in college was 57. Um, so I think he was the special teams player of the week for the AFC. Can't really argue with that, but... I, I wasn't particularly happy, you know. I, I don't mind that the Panthers lost because it helps, you know, helps me selfishly. But I'd rather they won, just morally, and that, like I say, it would have been a good comeback from the um, Panthers. And that last drive left a bit of a sour taste in in my mouth, and I'm sure other people's as well. Yeah, I think so, Dave. What about you? I mean, uh, just to sort of uh, away from the kind of headlines that were that were made from the game, you know, um, welcome back Christian McCaffrey as well. He got his first touchdown uh, back this season, um, for, first touchdown thrown for Baker as a Panther. He also ran in for one as well. But yeah, that the game made made the headlines for the wrong reasons. Yeah, obviously, there's a lot, like, a, a lot surrounding that game uh, that went into it, but. The, the Browns they they only got 138 passing yards, and they still come they still come out on top. But the run game 
between Kareem Hunt and it's Chubb and Nick Chubb as well. Yeah. They they ran for, well. The the team ran for a total of two hundred and seventeen yards in that game, where the whereas the Panthers racked up fifty four yards. So that that's a huge huge difference. Um, but yeah, it was. It was just one of those games. It was probably good for the neutral. If you went into the game not knowing any of the... Well, okay, maybe aside from the first quarter when it ended 0-0, but um, it was good for the neutral after that where you know there was a good, a good few scores and things. But yeah, 4-4 four, four field goals as well uh, for the Browns. We saw them over the line and what, what a big kick at the end. Very impressive from the kicker or so. I think it was just good to see CMC back uh, back in action again. Yeah, so that, absolutely. That was really good to see him there, getting a full game under his belt. Uh, so moving on, gentlemen, we then come to one of the bigger shocks oh. of the weekend. Uh, and what we have here was the Chicago Bears versus the San Francisco 49ers at Soldier Field in Chicago. It was a deluge. The rain was absolutely hammering down hours before kickoff, and it continued through the game. But wouldn't you know it, the Chicago Bears, 19-10 to 10 winners over the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Dave, let's put it to you first. What did you make of this game? Well, I think the Bears swam to victory in, in that game, basically. But the 49ers were 10-0 up as well. Uh, halfway through the second quarter, and they did not score another point after uh, Robbie Gould kicked a field goal. So, you know, credit where credit's due. I will, I, again, I will eat some humble pie for Cameron from the Stramash podcast. Um, yeah, I, I've been, I've been trying to convert him to being a Jets fan. Maybe that's more appealing now after this game. But yeah, the the bear, the bears just. I don't know, they've come flying out of the blocks and not one of us expected this whatsoever. I saw uh, something online um, today that former Rams coach Mike Martz, he said that in, in that game, uh, Justin Fields, he saw nothing that gave him hope for Fields as a future NFL franchise quarterback. But for some reason, the Bears still get, they saw it out. They came back from 10 nothing down they saw out the game. There was two uh, missed extra points in the game as well. Uh, two passes for a touchdown um, by Justin Fields. So I think Justin Fields deserves some credit for that game as well. So, uh, all, But one uh, slight good point for the 49ers was Debo Samuel coming back for his first game after his kind of standoffish uh, postseason with the 49ers with a touchdown run. So, yeah. Well done, the Bears. Surprisingly, well done, the Bears. But uh, the 49ers, maybe a lot left to be desired. Yeah, I mean, you just spoke about Justin Fields there. He was 8 of 17, 121 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Now, you, you spoke about him. We also do need to talk about Trey Lance. 13 of 28, yeah. 164 yards, no touchdowns, one pick. He just did not look good. Now, how much of this was on the weather? It clearly wasn't weather conducive to throwing the football. We understand this. Mm-hmm. If this continues, though, how long before they start fans start clamoring to get Jimmy G back in? Believe it or not, Kyle Shanahan's record without Jimmy Garoppolo is appalling. With Jimmy Garoppolo, it's absolutely amazing. The, the win-loss record's just, uh, it's, it's insane, the difference it makes. Jake, what did you make of this game? It was a bizarre one, wasn't it? It was, it was very bizarre. I mean, it's another, it, there's a, a good uh, outing for rookie head coaches. I mean, Matt Eberflus picking up the first win. Uh, they've, they've run the ball 74 times, 37 each. 
and it just feels similar how we're talking about the Falcons and kind of their tendencies. The 49ers fans must be having some flashbacks as well after fumbling a, a nice lead in the NFC Championship. Like Dave says, they were 10-0 at halftime, coasting. I mean, Justin Fields had 14 yards at halftime. It looked like it was going to be what everyone expected. The yeah. 49ers just walking it. Um, credit to the Bears. I mean, you see the celebrations afterwards, how much it means to them. Um, you know, I've I've got a, a soft spot for the Bears, certainly, so it was very good to see. Um, but yeah, the, the torrid conditions. The only thing I would add as well, one note I took down was that the 49ers had 12 penalties called against them and the yardage totaled 99 yards. So that is it's maybe some slight disciplinary issues as well. Cost them a good few yards in that game. So maybe something to look out for there as well. Penalties and turnovers. They'll kill you mm-hmm. every single time. I'm wondering if maybe this win is actually something that might kickstart the Bears. Um, Probably not. They're walking into a very angry team next week. So They, we'll they are indeed. But, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if there's a difference in fields in good weather conditions. Oh, and likewise with Trey Lance. I don't think um, Sunday's game was any kind of indication of how good these guys are at throwing the ball. I don't think we, we can look at that game and say, he's rubbish, he's rubbish, because the, the weather just did not suit it at all. So it'll be interesting to see what goes on this week. Um, okay, moving forward, we then come to, well, I ever, I, I, you'd say it was a shock, but Dave pretty much predicted this happening. Um, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers at the awfully named Pecor Stadium. Disgusting. Um, and the Steelers walked away with a 23-20 win in overtime, despite the fact neither of these teams wanted to win this game. I lost count of how many kicks when missed it just it was beyond a joke kicks were being missed left right right across the league but in this game in particular it was awful evan Evan mcpherson who i believe they call mcpherson uh in the states um he missed some chris boswell missed there was a extra point blocked Uh, minka fitzpatrick was all over the field it was an enjoyable game but my goodness it just looked like nobody wanted to win so uh dave let's put it to you what did you make of this absolute insane roller coaster of a game in fairness i predicted 17 all for the game to and then went to overtime but it was 2020 you're three points out each team i was three points but the bengals I, I don't know what it was. I, I, I remember uh, looking at the game beforehand, just think, don't count out Mike Tomlin. You can't, With Mike Tomlin, I get the same kind of feeling when his team are maybe got a few injuries or uh, they're like maybe not on great form. You get the same feeling as you do with Belichick, that you've just got the respect for him, that he knows how to get the job done. But like you say, neither team wanted to win that. But that blocked field goal... I think there was one commentator who was basically calling it as the gate. That's the game for the Bengals. As soon as as soon as uh, Jamar Chase caught that, with two seconds left in in normal time, and then for for it to be blocked, that was just incredible. I could not believe it. Watching red zone, I was in shock. But yeah. then at yeah, the so, same time, I wasn't. Well, yes. Yeah, so, so Jamar Chase um, kept getting single covered through the entire mm-hmm. game. I, I'm going to talk about this later on. Maybe in the next segment, I'll talk about this. A single coverage on Jamar Chase. Got a six-yard pass with two seconds to go. T- uh, so the game's tied at 20, and everyone's like, that's mm-hmm. a ball game. That's it. 
Yep. Bengals are going to win. And then <laughs> Minka Fitzpatrick, he also had a pick six in that game. What what yeah. a game he had. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Jake, I mean, what, what did you think of this? Yeah, well, Minka Fitzpatrick, Defensive Player of the Week, no bloody wonder. Uh, the, the Steelers' defense was just fantastic. I mean, TJ Watt got a, a jumping pick as well. You know, we've spoke about him being injured. It's going to be a huge loss for them. Um, but somehow, I'm sure Mike Tomlin will make it look like a, a small loss. It's just the, the missed PAT and then, a, and then a blocked field goal. Like you say, I can't only really echo what you guys said. Now, the, there was a replacement long snapper, and it's not really the position people think of or value. It's probably the lowest Except paid here on the WinFL show. We spoke but, about uh, this, replacement long snappers. But what a difference it makes because McPherson is normally, you know, automatic, you know, after the last year, regarded as one of the best in the league. And to miss a PAT and then have that, that field goal blocked, um, it was just a fantastic, but it would be, you know, I can't pa- pass this opportunity, even though it was a defense-led win. That is the MVP I want to know. It oh, certainly just, is. No, so no, we, no, no. <laughs> it is. Now, we're going to move on. We're going to move on from a game that nobody appeared to want to win to a game that nobody actually won. Uh, it was the Houston Texans against the Indianapolis Colts at NRG Stadium. This was just, ah, oh, my goodness. 20 to 20, going into overtime, and not only did nobody want to win it, the uh, Texans basically said on that last drive, we, we don't want to win this game. Uh, they played for a draw. They got a draw with the idea that a draw is better than a loss. And um, as Herm Edwards would say, you play to win the game. Mm-hmm. This was an absolute give up by the Texans. And I was, and the, the annoying thing is that the Texans, they were, they were 20, was it 20 to three up? At yeah, one point, uh, at and the end then, of the third, at the end of the third, and then gave up seventeen points in the fourth quarter. Now I can understand at this point you're like, we we don't want to lose, we don't want to lose, yeah, but you still need to try and win the game. Oh my, I just I couldn't believe that decision uh, by Lovey Smith there at the end of the game uh, for the overtime. I, do you know what, uh, Jake? Let's put it to you first. What did you make of this? I hate it. What message does that send to your team? So what? You know, momentum's not with you. It was fourth and three, just outside of field goal range. So you pick up the first down, you're most likely kicking to win the game. If you miss the kick, you tie. Oh, well, at least you tried. If you hadn't got it, it was just outside field goal range for you. So about midfield, there was 20 seconds left. Chances of the, the Colts, especially with the way their kicker was going, who's now been cut. Um, the chances of them um, kicking a field goal, pretty slim. Um, so they would have gone for a Hail Mary. It just sends a horrible message as far as I'm concerned. The Texans, you know, are this team that's kind of a flying under the radar. Everyone's, you know, willing to give them a shot with Davis Mills and thinking they could be something. If they had gone out there and won, or even if they'd gone out there and tried to win, um, it's just a big, big difference to me. I mean, they only managed 73 yards in, uh, 73 yards in the second half. Um, like I say, we were 20 to 3 up. The Colts, so fair play to them, they were down 17, they still run the ball. You know, a lot of people, when they're down two, three scores, they will just abandon the run and, and start launching balls. They, they trusted their, their system, they trusted Jonathan Taylor, and they, they ran their way back into contention, but just felt a bit empty at the end of it. Like I say, I don't I understand some of the reasons, like you said, in terms of it's better than losing, but is it? Because it doesn't mean anything. 
a draw doesn't help you really. Um, and I think more mentally going forward, it just sends a really bad message. He came out and basically said that defense was tired and wouldn't have got a stop. And it's like, well, <laughs> you're a defensive coach and you're basically saying you didn't have faith that if you missed a field goal or if you didn't get the, the, the fourth down, that your defense would just fold like a wet paper bag. It did. It just doesn't send a good message to me. No, it doesn't. It doesn't send a good message to the players. It certainly doesn't send a good message to the fans. You're like, you don't you don't trust your own team to get three yards. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we'll talk about this later as well, because <laughs> the Monday night game had a situation that was similar but not the same. Uh, but I was I just it was it was a total give up. You're not even trying. You're not even trying to win the game. So I was just I was sick of it. Uh Dave, what do you, what do you reckon? Well, just to briefly uh, to focus on the Colts, um, their total yardage, passing and rushing, 517 yards in that game. To, and to, for them to come away uh, with only a tie at the end, I think looking at the stats that I took the notes from, they should be quite disappointed as well. They, obviously heavy favourites against the Texans, but, you know, just to echo what Jake was saying there, what a message you send out, not only to your fan base, but to your players as well. You're playing for the draw? Absolutely not. Not in the NFL. You don't do that. That's just ridiculous in itself. But one casualty from that game, uh, Colts kicker Rodrigo Blankenship has been released. That's a bit of a shocker as well. But, you know, a good few casualties in that game. So the Texans fan base, the Texan players and the Colts kicker. Yeah. yeah, he missed. He missed uh, a field goal. He also hit two kickoffs in a row out of bounds. Yeah, is that, yeah. That How was, can you I, not I, kick a ball? Yeah, just straight. You, know? you got one job. <laughs> a safety for the Chiefs can do it. You can do it. You're that's what you're paid to do. <laughs> Certainly is. Um, uh, we should move on. However, uh, another close game. Uh, this one uh, over at Ford Field in Detroit, where the Lions were taking on the Eagles. And it was a close one, went right down to the wire again. The Eagles looked like they had it all sewn up, and the Lions came storming back in the fourth quarter with 14 unanswered, but they just couldn't quite get it done. They ended up losing that one 35-38 to the Eagles. Um, A lot of positives, I think, for the Lions in this game, probably more than a lot of people expected, particularly DeAndre Swift looked absolutely Mm -hmm. monstrous. Um, Jake, we'll put it to you first. What do you reckon? I reckon that A.J. Brown is pretty good. 155 yards, kind of the player uh, a team like the Tennessee Titans could use. Um, but the, the Eagles scored 24 points in the second quarter alone and up 17 into the fourth. I mean, Jalen Hurts is a, a dual-threat quarterback. I mean, 90 yards on the ground. It, it felt very Eagles. I like to say, the, the late comeback from the, the Lions, St. Brown was just fantastic. It just felt very similar for the Lions, losing by a small margin. Um, like I say, last year, I think it was seven games they lost by a one-score game. Uh, the only other kind of note I had was the Eagles had four different rushing touchdown scorers. Um, so just like last year, where they were the number one rushing offense, they have, are looking to do it again, and they're looking to do it by uh, a committee rather than any focal point. Yeah, I'm, I'm one, uh, two, two things that I noted in this game as well. Uh, before I hand it over to you, Dave, James Bradbury, who we spoke about when he was let go by the uh, the Giants, um, had a 27-yard pick six. And uh, you mentioned Amon Rasim Brown. Well, I was watching this on Red Zone as well. And Amon Rasim Brown scores a touchdown. And then immediately his brother 
and I'm going to get his name wrong, Equinius. St. Brown scores a touchdown for the Bears. It it seemed like just back-to-back plays, uh, obviously in different games. Um, Dave, what did you make of this game? It was an exciting game. But as I said, plenty plenty of positives to look at for the Lions. Like like we said in preseason, the future is bright. They've just got just... Uh, get a bit more consistency, maybe a bit more team togetherness, and I think they've got a good, a very good franchise coming up there. Um, I mean, just to echo what Jake was saying about the rushing, you know, between them, uh, the Lions had 181 total rushing yards, the Eagles 216, so it was a great advert for for the rushing game. Um, but yeah, there was only one field goal attempted in that entire game, uh, and it was for the Eagles, and obviously they won by three points, so um, you know, I think at this point, I think I saw a tweet uh, put out this week by someone saying, "Just hug your kicker." <laughs> Just give me. We 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 quite we've talked quite a lot about kickers in this already, so I won't go into it too much. But hug your kickers. You've got a good kicker. You hold on to them tight. But uh, yeah, big big win for the Eagles. They just scrape over the line. But I think a lot of positives for the Lions. Even Jared Goff, maybe slight positive, but yeah, <laughs> where Eagles Eagles off to. A, uh, winning start. Well, I was going to say a little note on kickers. Um, I think Daniel was it. Is it Daniel Carson that the Raiders kicker was let go by the Vikings? Uh, Young Way Koo was let go by the Chargers. Um, it's amazing, kind of the momentum and the kickers will come. You know, Blankenship for the the Colts may come back and don't give up on your kickers. You know that they are people too. Kicker wow. carousel. Do you want to talk about a kicker carousel? The next game oh, we're going to no. talk about. <laughs> The next game we're going to talk about, FedEx Field, the Washington Commanders against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, before we talk about the game itself, we need to go back in time a couple of weeks again, gentlemen, don't we? Because the Jacksonville Jaguars, okay, so here we go. The Jacksonville Jaguars had um, Fry and Santoso, okay? And then Ryan Santoso wins out over Fry. Ryan Santoso then gets cut by the Jaguars and they claimed uh, they, they had, oh, the other guy whose name McCourt. I've forgotten, James McCourt, and they also claimed Jake Verity. So at one point, and I think it was about the 26th, 27th of August, they had two kickers, James McCourt and Jake Verity. Now, we've made bets on Fry or Santoso winning it. Fry gets cut, so I'm thinking, hey, I've won the bet. Santoso gets cut, and then James McCourt and... We said, if James McCourt is going to be the kicker come Sunday for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And wouldn't you know it, he wasn't. Because it was Riley Patterson. And I don't know where he came from. Riley Patterson was the kicker for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And all he did was kick three field goals. Um, But unfortunately, it wasn't enough. The Jacksonville Jaguars succumbed to the Washington Commanders 28-22. And a, a losing start for Doug Peterson. Trevor Lawrence, ah, he he looked better, but it, he's still not shown anything at all to warrant that first overall pick. And it's a shame. I feel for the guy. Um, Dave, I'll put it to you first. The Jacksonville Jaguars, Washington Commanders, what were your thoughts on this game? I mean, Everything that you said, I completely agree with, especially on Trevor Lawrence. He's just not showing the hype that we were all expecting. He was the kind of banker first round, dra- uh, first pick of the draft 
when he was drafted. But and you know, Jaguars fans kept sending him presents in the post, and he had put out a tweet asking him to stop because he had so many. And now it's just not looking like what they thought he was going to be. But um, yeah, I, the Washington just seen it out, and um, I, I mean they racked up over three hundred passing yards as well uh, with uh, our old buddy Carson Wentz there. So um, yeah, it, it was it was an interesting game. Uh, there were a lot of penalties in the game, though. Uh, I mean, a total nineteen penalties were called in that game. So you know, turnovers and penalties going to kill you. Um, but yeah, the, uh, obviously there was the only field goals attempted were by the Jaguars as well. So three or four by a, a brand new Jaguars kicker who, like you said, no idea where he's come from. Before the game, <laughs> I, I, went, I went to look who to see who it was. I said, who is that? <laughs> Not a clue. I've never heard of the poor guy before, but he's just been lodged in and fair, fair play to him. You know, he, he did... He, he did his job pretty well. He, three or four is not bad. Um, but yeah, Commander's off to a winning start. And, you know, we, we did predict that Jaguars uh, might get it. But I don't know. They're just missing something. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, even Christian Kirk had a decent game as well. Uh, you know, the new Jaguars high paid wide receiver, but just not quite get it done. Yeah, the kicker missed a thirty-seven yarder, so I'm not ready to to sing his praises. He, <laughs> he missed missed a chip shot. Uh, Wentz, yeah, twenty-seven forty-one, uh, four touchdowns, two interceptions, which were back-to-back interceptions, which is very Carson Wentz. Um, Jahan Dotson is a dog. Uh, he what a player he looks like. Yeah, uh, lining them up across from Scary Terry, they've got themselves um, some good wide receivers there with Curtis Samuel as well. Now, there was plenty of positives for the, the Jags. James Robertson um, looked fantastic coming off an Achilles. He was just unstoppable. Um, like Dave mentioned, Kirk went six um, for 117. But oh, actually, I wanted to mention Trayvon Walker got an interception, looked great. Devin Lloyd um, got the most uh, tackles by any rookie. He looked fantastic. But now for the negatives Darius Williams, the cornerback, 95 out of 95. Uh, PFF grade, he was out there making Carson Wentz look like MVP Carson Wentz. And then what an awful, awful interception to end the game for War- uh, Lawrence. Just, oh, it, was it wasn't even It wasn't even the game was on the line. You know, there were still chances, but he underthrew it. It, it, was, it was a shocking, shocking attempt. And it really just is not, like I was saying, how he had his best game at the last game of the season last year left you know positive going into this week that's the last thing we remember from Trevor Lawrence was that ugly ugly throw which is not not a good image just one one thing as well Jake just that you mentioned Trayvon Walker there he was the first rookie to record a sack and an interception in their NFL debut since TJ Watt's debut so maybe a bit, uh, that's someone that is maybe proving that he could be worth that first overall pick in the draft. Just that That's nothing against Trevor Lawrence, but, you know, totally different roles. But, yeah, I think Trevor Lawrence, there's something just, he's just not quite living up to what he should. And moving on to the next game, which made me look like an idiot, because um, over at Hard Rock Stadium, I had predicted that Bill Belichick with an entire off-season with uh, <laughs> Mac Jones would have the perfect answer to the Miami Dolphins. And boy, did I look stupid. Uh, Miami Dolphins <laughs> went away with a 20-7 win. It could have been double that. The mistakes by the Patriots were absolutely awful. Mac Jones had no protection whatsoever. 
Um, he threw an interception in the end zone that, to be fair, really wasn't his fault. Although he did put a lot of air under the ball. He kind of floated that one in there. Um, and the, the Dolphins just ran all over the Patriots 20-7. to uh, Jake, let's put it to you first. What did you see from this game? Yeah, the Dolphins' defense just run the uh, run the show. They they forced and scored a fumble. Uh, their D line played well. Their secondary played well. Linebacker, and, um, as Andrew put, my my friend, a little suspect. Um, but you know, if two out of the three phases of your defense are playing well, you can probably get away with it. Um, Tua is four and zero against Bill Belichick, which is impressive. He didn't play fantastic. Um, he did enough. I mean, Tyreek Hill. I saw some people when the Chiefs were doing very well saying Tyreek Hill, or you know, you don't need Tyreek Hill. He's an afterthought. Trust me, he's a playmaker. He played fantastic. It, there's some questions with the Dolphins in terms of Mike Gasecki. He seems to just be wasting away. I don't know if he's going to get traded. What's going to happen? But he was getting out snapped uh, by Durham Smith or Smythe. Can't, but you know. So so well known that I'm not particularly sure with his name. <laughs> um, like I say, Mac Jones had back spasms. Thankfully, looks like it's just short term. Seems something a bit dubious. It seemed very Belichick. Kendrick Bourne didn't see the field. He was supposed to be their first wide receiver, basically. He didn't see the field till the fourth quarter. I don't know why or what that was about, but he immediately caught his first pass of 41 yards. So I'm not sure why he was kind of frozen out or, or what happens. Um, but that was another win for a rookie head coach, uh, Mike McDaniel, and what a fourth down call um, he he did, which resulted in in Waddle's touchdown. Again, Waddle was fairly quiet besides that, but that that touchdown, I think it's fourth and five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, and it wasn't. It was in like near midfield ish. It was a, a very bold play, but hey, when it works, you look like an absolute genius. So well done to the Dolphins. I've been one of the biggest critics of Tua, especially on this podcast. I, 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 I still don't really believe in Tua, but I, I, have a, I have an extra bone to pick with him because he ruined my random stat for this week. So, But congratulations to him because he has now equaled Odell Beckham Jr. in the amount of passing touchdowns for 30-plus yards in the NFL. So they both now have two passing touchdowns of 30-plus yards. Um, and he's now one behind Walter Payton. So well done to Tua on that one. Um, but the uh, the other one, the other thing I was going to note as well is the turnovers of the Patriots. I, I you know two fumbles, one interception. Uh, Mac Jones was sacked three times, I think it was. Uh, no, two times, I think uh, they got. But um, yeah, the Patriots just not looking very Patriot-like in that game, and the Dolphins. Like we said, it could have been it could have been even double the twenty points that they did rack up. But um, yeah, just uh, well done to the Dolphins and oh no, poor poor Bill Belichick. What a shame. Anyway, <laughs> moving on, we then go to MetLife Stadium. The New York Jets were taking on the Baltimore Ravens, and it kind of went the way I think we all thought it was going to go. Uh, the Ravens won out twenty four to nine winners. It wasn't even close from from the first kick of the ball it really wasn't and uh, it's just Joe Flacco did Joe Flacco things Lamar Jackson did Lamar Jackson things and that's basically all you need to say about that the the Ravens just dominated this that game was nowhere near as close as the score suggests um so uh let's put it to you first Steve the Jets Ravens what were your thoughts I mean the one kind of standout 
stat that I want to bring up, though. The Jets, <laughs> the 295 passing yards for Flacco in that game. That that seems wrong to me, but that's what my... Unless it's, I've got the, my stats the wrong way about. But the other thing I wanted to bring up, though, is that uh, they, Greg Zerline, uh, you know, he's he's one of the best kickers in the league. He got one field goal uh, and he missed a field goal and an extra point as well. So nothing was going right for the Jets in that game. It was like a, an NFL team against a college team. And the Ravens just romped to victory. It was ridiculous. But yeah, well, just, I don't know. The Jets fans have suffered enough. Surely they can turn around something this season. But uh, yeah, I think they're just going to be fighting again not to be the number one pick. Yeah, the, the the 290 yards might sound impressive. They threw the ball, well, Joe Flacco threw the ball 59 times. So okay. when, you, when, when you start to average that out, <laughs> then it makes more sense. But yeah. I do have some good news for the, the Jets. I saw DJ Reed, uh, the, the secondary player for the Jets, six targets, zero completions, one interception, one forced fumble, one pass defense. So you can't really ask more from DJ Reed. He was trying his heart out. Um, as for the Ravens, Lamar was 17 of 30 for 213. Three touchdowns. I mean, Devin Duvernay, um, more known for his returns, had two of those. Rashad Bateman, who was you know expected to be the number one wide receiver, had a big, I think it's 50-plus yards. The Ravens secondary, which is basically all brand new, was looked as good as advertised. Marcus Williams got an interception. Um, the only... Bad news for the Ravens was the injuries that we covered at the start with Carl Fuller going out and then, like I say, Ronnie Stanley didn't start at left tackle and then Juwan James went off. So they were using their third string left tackle by the end of it. So injuries aside, uh, couldn't have really gone much better for the Ravens. Uh, now moving on, we come to the next game. And, uh, and again, my last week's prediction just did not work out with this one at all. It was Kansas City Chiefs against the Arizona Cardinals over at State Farm Stadium. And I had said last week in a prediction episode that, um, you know, the Chiefs won't be able to score as quickly without Tyree Kill. I also said it was going to take Patrick Mahomes a couple of weeks before he starts tossing five touchdowns a game. Boy, was I wrong. Uh, the Chiefs absolutely destroyed the Cardinals. It was 44-21. Again, that score does not reflect the dominance of the Chiefs, who basically stopped trying after three quarters. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was absolutely sublime in this game. He looked like he could do no wrong. He went, you know, 30 of 39 for 360 yards, five touchdowns. And it literally looked like he wasn't even trying. Um, they could have put 60 points on the Cardinals in this game if they'd bothered. Um, Jake, let's put it to you first. Chiefs and the Cardinals, what did you make of this? Yeah, like you say, by the end of it, there was some people lined up for the Chiefs that I've never really heard of. I think they were just kind of, let's see what we've got, considering we've won this game and it's dominant from start to finish. Uh, they scored on their open drive, something that they did nine times last uh, season, which was the most in the league since 1995. So they're already off to a, a good start for that. Uh, Clive Edwards-Hilaire involved early and often. He had two um, touchdowns, so there's an exciting running back room for the Chiefs. I mean, like you said, the, the scoreline really does fathom them. It's 37-7 to at one point. Worrying it was six straight home losses for the Cardinals. Um, and the Chiefs ran 66 plays and got 33 first downs. It's just embarrassing for, for the Cardinals. It, you know, getting beat by the Chiefs isn't, you know, no no one would particularly blame you for that, but 
they got dog walked in the Rome Stadium. That that stat. I'm um, sixty six plays, thirty three first downs. Yeah, <laughs> that's just that's not fair. <laughs> it really isn't, Dave. What did you make of this? I mean, just to rub it in as well, the the Chiefs brought in uh, their safety for for um, kickoffs and an extra point. Or uh, I think he, he missed one extra point and kicked another one uh, in the first quarter. So just to rub it in for the Cardinals that the Chiefs didn't even have a kicker, really. Harrison Butker was, uh, I think he had an ankle problem. But yeah, it's the future's bright for the Chiefs. Tyreek who? Can't remember. Uh, whatever, it's in the past. He's in the past. The future is bright for the Chiefs. And I think they just picked up where they left off. Patrick Mahomes is a real deal. Uh, Edward Tiller, like Jake was saying, it was two touchdown passes, if I remember rightly, for w- watching uh, Red Zone. Yeah, he caught, he caught two touchdowns. Yeah, it was two. It was two. Yeah, that's right. But it, I mean, they, the car, the Cardinals were flattered that it was only the, a twenty-three point difference. So the the, car, the Cardinals usually they come out fast. I think. Well, Cardinals fans will be hoping that it's the opposite this year. They finish well and they get into playoffs. I'm not seeing a whole lot there I'm, I'm worried for them on their behalf that this the, the in the nfc west i'm worried about that we've got got the seahawks and the cardinals mixed up so the cardinals might be struggling this year a little bit looking at that but at the same time it could just be that, that it's going to be a chiefs bills super bowl this year <laughs> if, if it's a Chiefs Bills Super Bowl, I'll be very impressed. Oh, uh, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Okay, anyway, but, but right, move on. Do you know what? I'll, uh, yeah, we will move on. But just see, just before we do, two things. First of all, yeah, you're right. Uh, Chiefs safety Justin Reed kicked an extra point, missed an extra point, uh, but I was doing kickoff duty, and on kickoff duty, he made a tackle, and it made me think about this. See, when players uh, are returning kicks, surely the last line of defence, instead of being a kicker, you would want it to be a safety who's used to being the last line of defence. See if I'm the Chiefs, I'm getting him to kick off all the time. Absolutely. I mean, who else do you want covering kicks other than safeties? That's perfect. Every team in the NFL should get one. It doesn't need to be your starting safety. You know, but get your second or third string safety to practice kickoffs, and that's your your kicker. They should do the same with punters. Treat a, a, a teacher safety how to punt the ball, because uh, my goodness, that's how you cover kicks. Uh, and the other thing was Jake, uh, sorry Dave, I beg your pardon. Um, I'm not at all worried about the Cardinals. I think no. they just ran into an absolute juggernaut coming the other way, because no. Kyler Murray didn't play as badly as a lot of people thought he was playing. He was immediately playing from behind. Uh, he was 22 of 34, 193 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He was pressured quite a bit, yeah. um, but he didn't play that badly. I think just he was outplayed really badly by Patrick Mahomes. And I think that's unfair on Kyler um, because he was immediately playing catch-up. And I, I would not be surprised, you know, if they... We go on to have a winning season. They look really good. But that Kansas City, I was sitting there watching this, just thinking, this is one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. Everyone said, including myself, that this Chiefs team will be worse without Tyreek Hill. I'm not saying they're going to be bad, but they won't be as good. If anything, they looked more efficient. And it sounds totally counterintuitive to say that, 
but it almost looked like the de- the Cardinals defense was going. We don't know who to cover because yeah. and Ju- Juju Juju was back as well. You know, to it brought in to replace Tyreek basically, and he looked pretty good as well. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you spoke of Clyde Edwards. Uh, Clyde edwards had you know mm-hmm. two touchdowns and three catches. Travis Kelsey had eight catches, one hundred and twenty-one yards. Juju six for seventy-nine. Uh, Sky Moore only had one catch. It went for thirty yards. We know Michael Hardman could do it. Uh, Marcus Valdez Scantling four for forty-four. They were just absolute. And let's also not forget the the Chiefs fumbled four times. Yeah. Now, they only lost one of those fumbles, but they fumbled about four times. It's not like they were flawless in this game, but they no. were so good that they were able to overcome four fumbles and just obliterate what should be a very good team. I was just, it was it was terrifying to watch. It really was. Um, so we should move on. Uh, the next game, wow, what a shock this was. Um, the Minnesota Vikings... At US Bank Stadium, welcome to the Green Bay Packers, and just blew the doors off them. 23-7. to uh, The Packers couldn't get anything going at all. It was actually, I think, a lot of Packers fans would seem that this is an embarrassment to lose this badly to the Vikings. I know they lost week one last year. They got absolutely thumped and then came back and, you know, torched everyone else. But the Vikings looked good. So, Dave, we'll put it to you first. Minnesota Vikings, Green Bay Packers, what did you see in this one? Well, I, I mean, poor Aaron Rodgers. I, he was he was sacked officially four times, but the Vikings brought the pressure, uh, really on defense. And, you know, of course, the, the, Vi- the Vikings, I predicted that they were not going to be very good this year. I'm going to take back what I said. I think they looked really good in this game. I think the Packers... Did not. I think Packers quite a few injuries, if I remember reading correctly. But at the same time, they were just outplayed, completely outplayed by the Vikings. And I feel, I, I, well, I don't really feel bad for Aaron Rodgers with his brand new huge contract. But four, <laughs> four sacks in the game uh, on Rodgers. That's just, yeah, well done to the Vikings. And I think the Packers offensive line just couldn't protect Rodgers as he needed it. Yeah, well, there's, there's three words. To design that 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 game is a uh, you like that? I mean, how good is <laughs> you like that? You like that? Um, but how good is Justin Jefferson? I mean, 184 yards, two touchdowns. But it felt from the very onset that this was doomed. I mean, the Packers, Christian Watson, the rookie uh, wide receiver, dropped the first pass. Probably would have been 70 plus yard touchdown. Yeah, uh, and that seemed seemed to set the tone for. Uh, the Packers. Now, they did have injuries. The, the offensive line is an absolute mess. Um, thanks to injuries, they were missing both their tackles, and then early on their left guard went down. But A.J. Dillon, the like, third down running back, you know, the backup running back kind of, he led them in, in passing. He, he led them in the receiving. That's, that's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the Vikings, I mean, another convincing debut, Kevin O'Connell. Um, you know, like I said, the Vikings pretty much just mauled the Packers. Um, Sedarius Smith on on his return uh, and quite a noisy return to to the Packers. Um, you know, been a bit chirping back and forth. Definitely uh, a personal revenge game for him. Uh, and hit him and the rest of the defense really did stand up. And it was a very anticlimactic game in a sense because you're expecting a very competitive game between two rivals. You know, two very good teams, and the Vikings just made it look very easy. Uh, too easy. It made it look too easy. easy. And, and I think that 
it, almost with the the Steelers Bengals game, uh, as I said, you know they were covering Jamar Chase one on one. They did the same with Justin Jefferson, the the, the backers in this game. You think why? Now I'm not a defensive coordinator, but see if I get drafted in because the other all the other defensive coordinators have taken the flu, and I'm going up against Justin Jefferson. I'm going up against the Vikings. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> We're not one on one. Just we yeah, are not double. going single man to man coverage with Justin Jefferson. He's got nine catches for 184 yards and two touchdowns. Look who was covering him though. Jair Alexander, who was the one that was mostly covering him. Well, he's rated as one of the best in the league. It, and it, it, does, it doesn't matter. It yeah, doesn't matter. Jalen Ramsey was one of them. Stefan Diggs got cooked. Exactly. One of the best in the league. Some of these receivers, and, and it is a, it's a select few. It is. But Justin Jefferson is in that select few. You do not cover them one-on-one because you can't do it. Unless you've got the love child of Dion Sanders and Rod Woodson and Champ Bailey sitting there. I don't know how that would work, but you know what I mean. Unless you've got that as your cornerback. You do not cover these guys one-on-one because they will kill you. And it's not like, um, oh, well, he, he won't kill us. He's done it to everyone. I remember you, he was one of your, your random stats, Dave, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, yep. Justin Jefferson. This guy, if he continues on this trajectory, is going to shatter receiving records. He is unbelievable. And I wish teams would, st- I don't know what, it's almost like they're daring the Vikings. We dared you to throw it to Justin. Why? Why would you do that? It's like, what are you doing? If, I, if I'm if i the, the, the Packers, I'm saying, I dared you to throw it to Irv Smith Jr. We'll put him one-on-one. You know? I mean, because you've also got, you've got Adam Thielen, and I, I get it when you're like, oh, well, you know, we need to think about Adam Thielen. Yes, you do. He's a very good receiver. But you cannot single cover Justin Jefferson. Stop doing it. It's it the mind boggles and I was watching this game. Now I'm not a fan of the Packers by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, you know, given the choice, I'd, I'd take the Vikings uh, as a as a preferred team over the Packers. But I just couldn't believe what was happening, and I was <laughs> shouting at the telly saying, "Why are you Why are you doing this?" And it, and if you are playing zone, if you're playing a zone against just keep an eye on the man. Don't let him get wide open. And he was wide open. I lost count of the times. Justin Jefferson didn't appear to have anyone within 10 yards of him. Yeah. By far and away, the best wide receiver on the Vikings. Not even close. And there's no more than 10 yards. I I, I was just, oh, I couldn't believe it. Ah! The the only thing I can relate it to is if one of us went into a pub and looked for the biggest guy in the pub and offered him out for a square go outside. And that is basically what the Packers did with, with Justin Jefferson. Just went, yeah, go on, you throw it to him. See if we care. See what happens. And yeah, they yeah. looked they, exactly. They, they saw what, what happened. That's predict- yeah, exactly. Predictable is what happened. Yeah, and uh, Kirk Cousins, your man, Jake, uh, 23-32, 277 yards, two touchdowns, a rating of 118.9. He, uh, he looked good. Making After all- the... Sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry. I was going to say after the win today, Kirk Cousins now has a winning record against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. He's he's five and four. There you so go. He's Who, got that number. He does indeed. Who's the goat in the NFC North? <laughs> Just saying. 
Just saying. Uh, so we should move It's not on. Jared Goff anyway, that's all. <laughs> we should move on to another shocking result. A shocking result. And there it was at Nissan Stadium. The Tennessee Titans to take on the New York football giants. And wouldn't you know, Brian Dable's team sneaked out a 21-20 win. Uh, they were trailing at the half. They were shut out at the half. And they came storming back. And uh, Saquon Barkley is back. Saquon was a beast. An absolute monster. 18 rushes, 164 yards and a touchdown. He had six receptions for another 30 yards and he just looked absolutely amazing. Daniel Jones' best friend by a country mile. Daniel Jones, 17 to 21, 188 yards, two touchdowns, a rating of 115.9. Dave, let's put it to you first. What do you reckon of these New York football giants? Welcome back, Saquon Barkley. It was it was so good to see him do so well in that second half. But yeah, D- Daniel Jones surprised a lot of people in that game. I think he got the fourth highest passer rating in Week One. So well, you know, well done to him. Sort of, so mildly shutting up some of his critics there with that performance. Um, but he, he was sacked five times as well. So that maybe that's something he to work on. But at the same time, the Titans, oh. They, they were one of my teams that were not going to perform well this year. And for the sake of Titans fans, I hope I am wrong. But what, it was, what, thir- was it 13-0 at halftime uh, at the half? And, you know, they did they did miss that kind of field goal at the end. Um, uh, Bullock missing it there. But at the same time, what a comeback. And, of course, the main man himself on kicking duties for the, for the Giants, Graham Gano. He got. He only got one point in the game, but that doesn't matter. The Giants won by one point, so Graham Gano with the winning point for the New York Giants. Well done to the Giants, and I think for their fan base, they've suffered long enough since, since the days that Eli Manning took them uh, deep into the playoffs and obviously to the Super Bowl as well. I think they've started. They, they might just be on that curve finally, back up the way. But so, uh, well done to the Giants and Titans fans. Yeah, that's. Uh, uh, it's got a rough one to take. It is. And uh, what about the cojones on Brian Dable at the end there, Jake, with 106 to go? You score the touchdown, it's 20 to 19. And what does he do? He goes for that two point conversion. What did you think of that? Now, that is what Lovey Smith should be looking at this week. I mean, uh, again, a rookie head coach or, you know, first first game in, in charge. And yeah, absolutely love the call to go for two and win. That sends a positive message. Even if you don't get it, hey, we have stuck around in this when we were written off. You know, we went for the win. That's all that matters. You get it, and you look like a genius. Now, uh, we mentioned Saquon being back, and that's fantastic. I'm here to be the party pooper and say I'm happy for the Giants. It was a great win for them. They shouldn't have won the game. They didn't win. Oh the no, game. they didn't the deserve Titan- to win. No, they did not win that game. <laughs> no. The Titans lost that game. They were 13 and 0 up. They absolutely coasted it. Uh, they missed a 47-yard field goal to win, which had 18 seconds left. This was after incredibly poor time management and in- just uh, interesting decisions um, from Vrabel and Tannehill. They had the ball at 27 with 18 seconds left and a timeout. They didn't get a playoff when the ball went out of touch. They then burned a timeout after not having the clock running, ran back three yards, 
and then spiked it just to miss a 47-yard field goal. It was it was incredible. I mean, it was fantastic, and it really did kind of sum up week one in terms of the upsets and the trials and tribulations. Fantastic for the Giants. Do I think that you know they'll kick on and, and go on to do great things? No. Um, should the Titans bounce back? Absolutely. But just a, a shake of the head at some of the, the decision-making and, and just... I don't even execution. Um, and there's that famous quote of, uh, you know, what, what do you think of the execution, you know, for, for your team? And he's like, I'm all for it after the Titans game. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm all for it. That was pretty poor. Um, so we should move on moving swiftly on. We then come of course to SoFi stadium again. This was on the Sunday, of course, and it was the Los Angeles chargers against the Las Vegas Raiders. Justin Herbert was throwing Dimes, it was terrifying to watch. Chargers come out 24-19 winners over the Raiders. We'll put it to you first, Jake. What did you make of this game? It was a thoroughly enjoyable game. I What I took from this game was Khalil Mack is still, and always has been, an absolute monster. Three sacks, which means he's currently tying the league. Uh, one of them was a sack fumble. For the Raiders, there was some very poor plays and decision-making from the Raiders and Derek Carr in particular. He had three interceptions. And back-to-back fumbles. Um, very much looking forward to the Chargers. They were one of my my picks going forward. But it just... I, I was happy to see Cleo Mack. I was left with more answers than questions when it comes to the Raiders. Yeah, more questions than answers. I, 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 I understand what you <laughs> Wrong mean. way around. Uh, Devontae Adams did look good for the Raiders, though, Dave. Uh, you know, he had 10 catches, 141 yards and a touchdown. Um, but they just the, the running game really wasn't doing anything much for them at all. Unfortunately, Josh Jacobs, 10 for 57 and 18, uh, 18 yards was his longest run. Other than that, nothing doing on the ground for the Raiders. What did you make of the game? I mean, six sacks in total. The Raiders gave up in that game. So I, I, I was going to point out between the, the three interceptions thrown and the six sacks, yeah, just to echo what Jake said, Khalil Mack, where, where was he at the Bears? Well, he's back with the Chargers now. It doesn't matter what he did with the Bears. But yeah, the, the Raiders, I, I was disappointed with Carr. We, he, we know he can be a really good quarterback. One of the, He can be one of the best in the league, but that was not his finest display. A lot of questionable decisions as well, like Jake was saying. But uh not a lot to add, really, for Raiders fans. Chargers, they got the job done. Uh, I think the scoreline, I think it could be a little bit better for the Chargers, but at the same time, they, they got the 1-0. and That's what counted. Justin Herbert, we know he's a real deal. Uh, and I think Gerald Everett's uh, catch uh, for his touchdown, I thought that was really impressive as well. So um, big up to our, He was on the other side of LA a couple seasons ago. Um, but at, at the same time, Gerald Everett, fantastic catch. Um, and of course, Justin Herbert, he's, he's going to be a really good quarterback in the future as well. He's already a great quarterback, one of the best in the league, but the Raiders, a few questions to answer. You'd think Derek Carr had tunnel vision. I think he targeted um, Devontae Adams like 17, 18 times. It's, I know they've got this great chemistry back to yeah. Fresno State, and it's all we've heard about, but it certainly felt like when you've got Darren Waller and you've got Hunter Renfro, that's uh, stop dialing in on the same guy. I, 100, I said 141, uh, Ian, you said. 141 yards he was, he got. Uh, receiving, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, the Raiders, they clocked up. It was just over 250 yards. So that's about 60% of their yeah. um, their passing yards. Yeah. I, I'd said this when we did our season predictions 
um, I said that Devontae Adams would be the leading receiver in the NFL for this very reason, Jake. The very reason that you said, I think Derek Carr is just going to look to him every single play. And if 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 there's half a yard, he's going to throw it at Devontae Adams. Um, that might bite them uh, going forward. Um, you know, 60% of your yards coming from one guy is it's not ideal. Uh, no team can win like that. But uh, that was, yeah, that was the uh, the Raiders and the Chargers. We then move on to the Sunday night game. And, it, oh, it was a terrible game. It was wow. awful. Yeah. Do you, do you know, it's uh, AT&T Stadium, Jerry's house, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers visiting the Dallas Cowboys, and it just it wasn't uh, a game at all. The offense of both sides was pretty pathetic. Almost all of the scoring came from Ryan Suckup's legs, uh, apart from one uh, Mike Evans touchdown pass from Tom Brady. Um, nothing happened in the fourth quarter. As you've already alluded to, Jake, Dak Prescott got injured. Uh, they scored three points. They did nothing offensively. It was absolutely awful. They had 71 yards rushing. They had 173 yards net passing. It was it was just pathetic. And I really worried about the Cowboys going forward i think the only bright spot is that michael parsons picked up where he left off last year dave why don't you kick us off with this one cowboys and the bucks just to quote one of your favorite sayings ian the cowboys were garbage absolute garbage and it was that i wish i hadn't stayed up to watch that game that was poor like you said it was it was just a suck up's leg that kit what Kept kicking, kick, kick, kick. I think he he missed one. Um, I think in the second quarter, if I remember rightly, he missed one uh, field goal attempt. But apart from that, he's just banging them in, banging them in. And then the Cowboys, um, they got one field goal in the first quarter, and then after that, it was just nothing. They showed nothing. It was just depressing. And and you were saying Jerry Jones's house. I'd be looking to sell up and move move house very quickly after what, witnessing that in, in my house. No, I wouldn't be having that. The other thing I picked up, obviously Mike Parsons, the only bright spot for the Cowboys, good for him. The other thing I picked up on, 10 penalties, totaling 73 penalty yards for the Cowboys. So they really didn't help themselves on either side of the ball. But um, yeah, uh, the, the Bucks didn't even look great either. But at the same time, it's hard not to look good against a team like that, that the Cowboys showed up. So they've got that we, we mentioned our teams have got questions to answer. The Cowboys have a book of questions to answer after that one. I don't we don't even know who's gonna be the quarterback for the next few weeks until well, I say a few weeks. We've already discussed it could be a couple months before Dak Prescott is back. So obviously rumors about Cam Newton, but at the same time, the Cowboys are in a bit of a pickle. They are indeed. And Jake, we're gonna pass it over to you in just a second, but that really was the most boring game I've seen in years. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was a terrible game. Uh, Jake, what did you think? I did fall asleep. I, I stayed up for, for pretty much all the football. I did fall asleep during this game, and it's it's not my fault. Uh, it was not thrilling. Um, <laughs> I don't want the Cowboys, no, not to dunk on them and make it worse. I don't want them hiding behind Dak being injured. He didn't get injured till the fourth quarter. They were shocking. They were poor. Um, whoever does come in at quarterback, whether it's Cooper Rush or Cam Newton or... You know, the second coming of Jesus, they're going to need help because CD Lamb. <laughs> what do you think Tim Tebow's going to play for them? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> well CD Lamb needs to be the, the wide receiver one they expect him to be. I mm. didn't see too much from Dalton Schultz. 
the the running backs were the, the next best things. I mean, I know they're hoping to get Michael Gallup back soon, but the they they, they stunk. Now for the books, Leonard Fournette was absolutely fantastic. You know, after uh, the ridicule he got with the preseason turn up at two hundred and sixty pounds, well he. Maybe maybe you should do that every year because he went twenty one uh, for one hundred twenty seven rushes, uh, and then two for ten in, in receiving as well. Now there's another O line injury for both teams, which have been depleted already on the offensive line, so that wasn't ideal. Um, but how good did Julio Jones look? Looks like a, an absolutely great addition for the books oh. if he can stay healthy. Julio Jones, <laughs> I'm. I hate to see it because I love Julio Jones. I, he's one of my all-time favorite players. I just hate seeing him play for the for the Buccaneers, but oh, he looked yeah. fantastic. He looked absolutely brilliant. I mean, you, you spoke about C.D. Lamb there. You know, the self-styled member of the 88 club and two catches, 29 yards. On 11 targets, I should point out. Now, I, I don't think the Buccaneers have the best secondary in the history of the NFL. I really don't. 11 targets... Two catches, twenty nine yards. Just, it just you're not going to win games like that. It was Chris Godwin came back from his ACL and then suffered a hamstring issue, so he's out for a few weeks. So the, the good news was his, his knee held up. The bad news is hamstring didn't. So ah, we don't like to see uh, players getting not. Bad. There no. was a few in this game. That was they say it was a bit of a a, a dull game, um, but both teams did pick up a few injuries. That's why. I was so happy to see Julio Jones um, stay healthy for the time being. Like I say, I won't be saying that next week when when the Saints have to face him, but this week I enjoyed watching him. So uh, we need to move on. Our final game now is the Monday night game. Uh, Jake, it's all yours. <laughs> you don't want him to talk too much about this. <laughs> I, I have plenty to say about this. <laughs> I'll start by saying um, it was at Lumen Field. <laughs> And over to me. And over to Jake. Uh, well, the, the positives, Giovanni Williams uh, looked great. He ran for seven times, 43 yards, <laughs> 11 receptions for 65 yards, just looked fantastic. Um, if you look at the stats and the numbers, even if you look at the game, if I'm honest, I'm unsure how the Broncos didn't win this game. Uh, I was impressed with the tight end I, I, I will tell you. How the Broncos <laughs> didn't win this game later on, but I'll let you. I'll let you. Sorry, I should. I didn't even tell the score. Sorry. Uh, Seahawks beat the Broncos seventeen sixteen. Yes, uh, the the tight end Beck, who I'm assuming is tight end two. They, they said they've got four tight ends, and you'll see them all. Um, well, this 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 fellow Beck, I've never heard of before. Looked good in receiving. Looked good in blocking. Um, but as for Seattle, Geno Smith, 126.1 QBR, just very efficient, exactly what you would expect from uh, Geno Smith and, and kind of Seattle this year. They're just going to try and limit mistakes, and I think they're going to be in a lot of close games. But the Denver fumbles, just Melvin Gordon, I was ready to just absolutely bury, but then Javante Williams followed up and, and did one as well. So I, I feel like... I'd be a hypocrite if I just bury one of them and not the other. So it was disappointing that the Broncos should have won this game by 15, 20. This should have been a competition. You know, congratulations for Seattle. Um, their crowd definitely helped them. Geno Smith didn't make you know too many mistakes and was efficient, but I don't know how they won this game. But I, I don't know if we want to speak to Dave before we, we let Ian dissect this. We will. Dave, it's all yours, Paul. Well, 
I I had Andrew. I I I was going to say highlighted Andrew Beck, but I went Andrew there. So but I highlighted Andrew Beck. What a, he came out the blocks firing. What a tight end the Broncos have there, and I'm really impressed. But just to echo Jake, how did the Broncos not win? I mean, one the one I kind of picked up on just penalties and turnovers. Twelve penalties for the Broncos, totaling 106 yards, and of course. The two, the two um, fumbles that were just—I, I, after the first one, I thought, surely not again. It's not going to happen. Oh, it's happened again. So yeah, I mean, I, I was I, I desperately trying not to message you Ian during the game because I, I didn't want to hear you crying <laughs> through through a message. But you know, three hundred thirty passing yards for the Broncos. They, I, I, it was just the key moments. That's when the Broncos let themselves down. The Seahawks were pretty consistent. They didn't play great. They didn't play terrible. But the Broncos should have won that by you know at least two scores. So I'll leave it there, and I'll leave it over to yourself, Mister McKinnon, because I think you 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 may have one or two little sentences to say about Ripes. <laughs> Buckle in. Okay, so here's the thing: if you look at the stats, the Broncos. 330 passing yards, the Seahawks 177. Total yards 433 to Denver, 253 for Seattle. Broncos run 20 times for 103 yards, Seahawks 19 times for 76 yards. Broncos had more first downs. They just. They, right, so here's the thing. First of all, the fumbles. Now, the Broncos had three possessions. Three times they were inside the Seahawks' five-yard line. They came away with three points from those three possessions. Now, the Melvin Gordon fumble, uh, now I I always said Melvin Gordon fumbles are the most inopportune moments, which he did. However, I'm going to give him props for this because the only reason Melvin Gordon fumbled, it was forced down and he was trying to stretch across the goal line. The, and, and the ball got knocked out because he was stretching with one hand. It's the only reason that he fumbled. Javante Williams' fumble was because the offensive, for some bizarre reason, I, I, I'm assuming it's Nathaniel Hackett calling the, the plays here, when the Broncos yeah. are on the goal line, goal to go, with inches to go, they've got Russell Wilson in the shotgun, handing the ball to a running back. He's five yards in the backfield when he starts with the ball. The Broncos offensive line got blown up. Javante Williams runs into his own man because he's been thrown back five yards. He then gets hit, the ball pops out. So I'm not actually not blaming either of the running backs for the fumbles. I don't think it's their fault that they fumbled. However, I am blaming the play calling. Now, let's talk about play calling here because the Seahawks in the fourth quarter had negative 12 offensive yards. I'll say that again. Negative 12 in the fourth quarter. That's how many yards Seahawks offense had. They could get nothing done. In the first half, the Seahawks looked really good. Geno Smith looked like Phil Simms in Super Bowl XXII. He couldn't miss. He was hitting dimes, just ping, ping, ping. The ball was flying all over the field. It was great. However, the Broncos have the ball in the final minute of the game. They're down by one point. And they start moving the ball. And things are going good. Now I'm going, do you know what? We've got Russell Wilson. We've got about, you know, a minute and a half, two minutes, whatever, whatever it was, two minutes. Uh, in fact, it was more than two minutes because two-minute warning happened during the, during the drive. Do you know what we don't have? 
we don't have Vic Fangio anymore. Now, Vic Fangio is one of the greatest defensive coordinators ever, in my opinion. But do you know what he's not good at? He's not good at clock management. He's not good at taking his time. For some reason, Vic Fangio would like to hang on to timeouts. Don't know why. You can't take them with you. You know, you don't carry them over to the next game. So, but he always, the Broncos would end up, you know, running out of time and there were two timeouts in their pocket. This always happened. So, the Broncos are, are on a third and 15 on their own 45-yard line. And they, they call a screen. Javante Williams catches the ball, breaks a tackle, makes a guy miss, breaks another tackle, gets 10 yards. Javante Williams was sensational in this game. The problem was that they only let him carry the ball seven times when he's averaging eight yards per carry. And like five of those are in the first half. I don't know why they got away from this, but that's by the by. We're on the last drive. And here's what happens. It's now fourth and five. There's 51 seconds on the clock. You've got three timeouts. Now you're on the Seahawks 45-yard line. You're not in field goal range. So you've, you've got to get that first down. So anyone in the world watching this would say, take a timeout, okay, chill, and then figure out what you have to do. If you have to take a second timeout, just to really make sure you've got the right, because you've got all three timeouts. If you've got to take a second timeout to make sure you've got the right play, that's fine. You'll still have another timeout. Alternatively, you take a timeout. If you don't get the first down, Seattle gets the ball. You've still got two timeouts. As long as you can get a defensive stop, you'll still get the ball back. Okay. Now, we spoke about Mike Vrabel. And we've spoken about Lovey Smith and some of the decisions they made. This is what the Broncos did. 51 seconds, 4th and 5. 50 seconds, 49 seconds, 48 seconds, and they don't call a timeout. And you're thinking, what are they doing? Why are they not calling timeout? I was literally, and I mean literally, screaming at my television, take a timeout. What are you doing? They run it. And so I'm thinking, well, they're just obviously just going to run a play gets down to 20 seconds on the clock, and then they call a timeout. They burned 31 seconds, and they didn't do anything. They took a timeout, and I'm going, why? Okay, right, fair enough. Far be it from me to judge what our brand-new offensive guru head coach with this quarter-billion-dollar quarterback is going to dial up here on 4th and 5. Maybe he just needs those extra time, needs extra time. Fine, okay. What are they going to call fourth and five? You just need five yards. I'll get down to the 40, maybe another five yards. You're in field goal range, kick a field goal. You win the game. You're only down by one. So what do they do? After the timeout, they trot on Brandon McManus for a 64-yard field goal. Take Russell Wilson out. He misses it. Game over. That's it. That's how the Broncos lose this game. And you're thinking, hang on a second. Hold the boat. Our coach is Nathaniel Hackett. This is a man who just last week or the week before is saying, do you know what I love? I love analytics. Analytics tells you so much about a game. When to go for it, when to not go for it, what to do in this situation, what not to do. Analytics, you know, a coach's best friend. Well, then, which analytic told you that it's a better idea to go for a 64-yard field goal, which, by the way, up until Justin Tucker in Detroit was the NFL record, 64 yards. And prior to this game, 42 times kickers 
have attempted field goals of 64 yards or more. 42 occasions. Do you know, do either of you guys know how many times a kicker has made a kick of 64 yards or more out of those 42 occasions? Take a guess. I'm just like... Two or something? Two! Two? Twice! Twice in 42 attempts, (laughs) a kicker has made a 64-yard field goal. And one of those times was at Mile High Stadium. It was Matt Prater. The Um. other time was Justin Tucker last year. So, you've got arguably the greatest kicker of all time who did it in Detroit, and arguably a top-five kicker of all time doing it in Mile High Stadium. And you've got a guy, Brandon McManus, who has never made a kick of 60 yards or more eight times he's attempted it, never made one in his entire career. You're going with that, and I'm taking nothing away from Brandon McManus. He absolutely nailed that kick, and it just went wide. He had the distance, just went wide. But you've just paid a quarter of a billion dollars to a quarterback and you don't trust him to get five yards on fourth and five because would you like to know the percentage of teams going for it on fourth and five and converting? It's like 48%. You're almost almost 50-50. We either get it or we don't get it. If you don't get it, damn, we didn't get it. You go for a 64-yard field goal and then after the game, do you know what Nathaniel Hackett said? In his press conference, he said, no, we probably should have gone for it. Really? <laughs> you think so? You th- oh, Now you think you should have probably gone for it. Every person in the planet who's watching this game knows you should have gone for it. Peyton Manning and Eli and, and uh, I think it was Shannon Jab are on the Shannon Manning Sharp, cast. Yeah. They were doing the Manning cast of this. And as soon as Javante Williams hits the ground, Peyton Manning's going, right, time out, time out, time out. Timeout. And he's just called timeout. Call a timeout. Why are they not calling a timeout? Okay, they must be running a play. They're not calling a timeout. And the three of them are just sitting there. Then when he when he calls a timeout with 20 seconds to go, you could just see that, that you know, Peyton Manning losing the will to live at this point. Mm-hmm. And Shannon Sharp going, what are they doing? Nobody knew what the, why they were doing this. This was, and I, do you know what? You had people saying, oh, it's his first gig. This is his first game. I'm sorry. Is this the first time he's ever seen an NFL game? I could maybe understand that. When you've got people who've never, ever coached a game in their entire lives, us three, the three of us, we've, we've never coached a game. We never will coach a game. We'll never have the chance to call a play in any NFL game ever. It's never going to happen. The three of us would have run that play in fourth and five. Yeah, absolutely. You would not just, oh, we'll send out the kicker. Why? It's a, you're, you're in Seattle. You're at sea level. So it's literally right next to the sea. You're not in mile high. What are you doing? Why would you do that? And I just, I was screaming at the television. The poor dog was looking at me. She didn't know what was going on. She was like, what are you screaming at? Because she doesn't understand. She's a dog. You know, she doesn't know. But she would probably have gone for a fourth or five. She wouldn't have kicked a 64. Even she knows that. She's a dog. How would she know? Oh, my God. I just, I, I, just I, I couldn't believe it. I absolutely, I couldn't believe that what I was seeing because, and there's the thing, the Broncos lost the game, but hey, do you know what? Still had two timeouts. Yeah? Carry them over next week. Oh no, wait, you can't. You can't do that. So why do you still have timeouts? I'm, I was just, I was, 
I, I couldn't, I absolutely couldn't believe it. And I'm sorry, guys. I know I said I wouldn't go on and on and on. And I've done it because it was, if any coach has ever deserved to be fired after one game, this was it. This, th this, this game, and I'm sorry to, to interrupt you there, Dave. It's all right. This game is the worst example of a, of a coaching decision that I have ever seen. I've never seen a worse decision by a coach to, to because the thing is, you know, it's not a case of, oh, well, we would have, you know, they would have converted, they would have won. I'm not saying that. But you didn't even give your team a chance. And you've got a future Hall of Fame quarterback that you just paid a quarter of a billion dollars to with like a seven-year extension, and you don't trust him to get five yards? He should, Nathaniel Hackett should hang his head in shame. He shouldn't even have gone to the press conference. He should have been too ashamed and he should have sent someone else to say, do you know what? He's too ashamed to show his face here. That's what he should have done. And he should have resigned after that. It was it was appalling. Sorry, Dave, what were you going to say? I'm, just, I'm, was, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, sick. I'm sick. I'm sorry. I'm sick. Don't worry about it. I, I'm The only thing I was going to say about the, the Manning cast, but I think my favourite line was when Peyton Manning almost had his head in his hands going, oh, no, they're going to kick it. And Shannon Sharp went, kick what? <laughs> he just, just because it was so far back, he couldn't believe it. It was jo just gobsmacked. Joe Buck, the, the, the announcer, was, he, he'd said after the game, he said, we, we're wondering why they're not taking time out. Him and Troy Aikman are going, why, why are they not taking a timeout? And they finally call a timeout. And they were sort of off the air because the timeout has, has happened. And he mm -hmm. says, this guy hands me a board, you know, one of those, uh, the, the, the whiteboards, you know, yeah, with the number 64 on it. And he's just looking at it going, 64 what? And then he looks back and he sees Brandon McManus coming on. He's like, are they going to kick it? What? And you're thinking, what's going on? What? Nobody, not a single person thought they were going to do that. No one. I can't imagine. I can't imagine anyone watching that game. Javante Williams goes down, fifty-one seconds to go, and anyone other than Nathaniel Hackett thinking, "Let's take us down to twenty seconds, call the timeout, and kick a field goal, sixty-four yards. That'll do the trick." Nobody, nobody would have thought that. Jake, did you think that? Oh, obviously. And that, 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 that's maybe why I didn't get any callback from when I went for all these interviews. But, you know, I thought that was a great analytical play. Like, burn 30 seconds. Make Peyton Manning tear his hair out. And, and probably think next time he gets an offer from the Broncos or any team, he's going to be like, you know what, I'm going to take it because I can't take watching the inept um, decisions some people make. It was it boggles the mind sometimes. Like you say... Uh, <laughs> I can't point to words really. You you watch these players and these coaches, and they do amazing things, and they obviously do a lot of things better than we ever could do. And it's easy to be a TV punt, but anyone with an IQ higher than you know zero, looking at you, buddy, um, knew like either call a timeout straight away if you're going to call a timeout, run a play if you're going to run a play, but don't do neither. Um, yeah, yeah, questionable. Because the other thing is, the Broncos had three timeouts. There's three of them with 51 seconds to go. So, I mean, you know, why why are you running 31 seconds off the clock? Call your timeout. If you then want to run 31 seconds off the clock, knock yourself out. Why are you doing it? Call the timeout. Get you guys together. So, and I, I just, I was, 
I couldn't believe it. I, I absolutely was stunned. And I thought that clock management couldn't get any worse than the Vic Fangio era. I thought it can't be. Because it was the Broncos had the worst, in the entire league, the worst clock management. They kept, you know, running out of time to do things. And this was, it was, it was, this was worse. And I didn't think it could get worse. And I was proved so wrong. I was just, it, it was appalling. I, I think it, as long as this the situation never happens again, the Broncos can still win a lot of games. I, I honestly think they can because Russell Wilson looked good. Jerry Judy finally has someone who can get him the ball. Cortland Sutton does too. But there were some play calls. There were some play calls down near the goal line where they're, they're throwing jump balls to Eric Sobert. And I'm going, why? And and the other the other tight end Tomlinson? And I'm going, you Cortland Sutton. <laughs> if you if you're gonna throw a fade on the five yard line, you got a six foot four, two hundred and twenty pound man, throw to him. I didn't understand it at all. Didn't understand it. But anyway, that was uh do either of you chaps have anything you want to add to that? Who's that? At least my my my, my team survived. Yeah, do you know what, Dave? I'm not trying to make light of the Rams situation. Um, but I think they just got beaten by a, an opponent on the day who was superior on the day. I think that's all true. it was. The yeah, Buffalo true. Bills looked mighty. The Broncos had no business losing that game, and they did. And it's it was it was an embarrassment. And that's the most embarrassing one point loss ever. Just that's pure humiliation. Uh, that that loss to Seattle, and it's just. Oh, it's it's a gut punch, it really is. Um, so yeah, that's the end of it. <laughs> that rounds it up. That's leaving on a high note. <laughs> leaving on a high note. That's the end of our week one roundup here at the WinFL show. Thank you very much for listening in to that bit. So that's the end of our uh, re- week one review. Uh, coming up after this, we're going to have the uh, next week two preview section. We'll be picking all the winners and losers from week two around the NFL. Welcome back to the WinFL show, and here we are. I'm still here. My name's Ian McKinner. I'm still here with Jake and Dave. Thanks for putting up with me, guys. I really appreciate that. Um, and we're going to do our rapid-fire week two preview. So we've got some games to go through, 16 in total, starting, of course, with the Thursday night game. What a matchup this should be. Kansas City at the Chargers. Dave, what do you reckon? Kansas City or Los Angeles? We'll go for uh, a Chiefs win by one score. Oh, one score. High score. High score. Jake, what do you reckon? I'm exactly the same as Dave. I think the Chiefs eke out a thriller uh, over is that 54 and a half. I've gone 27, 24. So I I think it will be a high score but close game. Um, I'm going to go even higher scoring than you guys. I think it might go into the 40s for both teams. But I've got the Chiefs winning as well on this one. Um, Now, Miami and Baltimore on Sunday. Um, Dolphins against the the Ravens. This could be a tough one. I've got the Ravens taking this one. I've got the Ravens going by uh, two scores, actually. I've got them double digits. Wow. I'll I'll go for uh, the Ravens by one point. Ooh. Oh my, I have the Ravens by one point. Oh. I, 21-20, I've got them. I've gone 23-22. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think this could be the shortest game of the week because uh, rush-heavy teams 
Um, could be a, could be over quick, uh, but yeah, I think this one will be a very good game to watch. Certainly could. Uh, next one, we've got the New York Giants versus, uh, sorry, beg your pardon, the New York Jets uh, against the Cleveland Browns. Browns are 1-0, Jets are 0-1. Um, so, you know, one of these teams will either be a, a, <laughs> will either be a perfect or winless uh, come this. So what do you reckon, guys? Well, I've got the Browns 30-13 to uh, coming out on top for a 2-0 start. Yeah, I've got them winning twenty four to ten. Um, I think it's it's going to be a, a relatively easy win. Yeah, I'll be surprised if the Jets can hit double digits in the in the scoring column. Uh, to be honest, I've, I think the Browns might just romp this one. Uh, moving on, we then have the Washington Commanders at the Detroit Lions. Of course, the uh, the Commanders won last week. The Lions just lost, um, but I've got the Lions actually sneaking this one. I've got them taking this one by a field goal. Oh, I've got uh, 31 points to 21 for the Lions. So oh. big shout out you, McPhail. I've got the Lions 20 to 17. I'm just hoping that they'll be on the right side of a close game this time. The next game we have is the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Indianapolis Colts. So the 0-1 Jags at the 0-1 Colts. Um, so uh, what, what do we think of this one then? I've got, I'll be honest, I've got Indianapolis uh, winning this one fairly handily. I've got them winning this one by eight. Ooh, I've got 24 points to 20 for the Colts. So yeah, it's going to be a close one and the Jaguars going to go for two-point conversions all the way. Well, I've got the the Colts winning thirteen to ten. I think this is going to be a low scoring game. Uh, it certainly could be. Uh, then we have Jake's New Orleans Saints against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I've got the Saints sneaking it. I've got the Saints winning this one by three. I've got uh, twenty one points to eighteen for the Saints. So oh, I think the Buc- Bucks for six po- six field goals for the Bucks. <laughs> you, you guys are ambitious I've got the Bucks winning 34 to 28 oh high score one there for you yeah. uh, we then have the 0-1 Carolina Panthers at the 1-0 New York Giants and as we've already alluded to Jake the Giants are favourites in this one but I've got the yeah. Panthers winning it I've got them winning by 6 I was uh-huh. very I was, sorry I was going to say I'm yeah. very surprised that the, the Giants are favourites and as uh, mentioned in the, the the review section, I don't I don't really buy the the Giants after their win, and obviously that's I'm assuming that's why they've got the the favourites. But I, I've got the Panthers winning fourteen to thirteen. I think it'll be a low scoring but close game. I've got the Panthers sneaking it uh, by twenty four points to twenty one with a late field goal. Oh, uh, we then move on to the New England Patriots, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So the Steelers are undefeated. The Patriots are winless. And I've got it staying that way. I've got the Pittsburgh Steelers winning this one by six over the New England Patriots. Well, I, I've got the Steelers winning it, but a low scoring 13 points to 10. I'm similar to you. You'll be surprised that the Patriots are favorites by a point and a half last time I checked, which I think is... Uh, just again very interesting i've got the steelers winning 17 to 9 we then have dave's uh, los angeles rams up against the atlanta falcons i've got to go with the rams in this one i've actually got them as a seven points uh, over the falcons in this one well uh, i've got them as 38 points to nine winners uh, for the la rams bouncing back from a horrific week one like we did last year so 38 points to nine for the rams 
I'm thinking rather similar. I've got 37 to 16. I think the Rams are going to be angry. Uh, and they're going to want to show that it wasn't the Rams necessarily being bad. It was the Bills being very, very good. And this will be just unlucky timing for the, the Falcons. We then move to the uh, NFC West matchup between the top of the NFC West, Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> what? Uh, and the San Francisco 49ers um, I've actually got the 49ers winning this one I think I've got it as a close one though I've got the 49ers by one point over the Seahawks in this one 49ers are quite heavy favourites in this one but I'm going to go for a 13-13 overtime with the Seahawks sneaking it in overtime with a field goal Ooh. yeah Dave uh, we were speaking about it the Seahawks are getting nine and a half points last time I checked mm-hmm. Uh, it was ten and a half, so it's coming down because they're probably realizing that that is ludicrous. Uh, I have the 49ers winning sixteen to twelve, but yes, I think it'll be a low score one. I think, like I said in the the review section, I think the Seahawks are going to be involved in a lot of low score and kind of close games. And I've then got the next game, which is the Cincinnati Bengals at the Dallas Cowboys. Without Dak, and judging by last week's performance, I'm all in on the Bengals on this one, and I see the Bengals will absolutely romp it, and I've got them as 20-point winners over the Dallas Cowboys. Well, here's me to pile on the misery for the Cowboys fans, because I've got the Bengals winning by 41 points to 10. <laughs> Good God! <laughs> the, the, yeah, the, the line has jumped out to 7.5 for the Bengals. Is that it? Yeah. Um, I've got them winning 28-17, but yeah, anything other than a Bengals comfortable win would be worrying for the Bengals. Now, ordinarily, with the Broncos playing the Houston (laughs) Texans, I would be saying the Broncos are going to win this by 50 points. But uh, we've got uh, the worst coaching decision in NFL history versus one of the worst coaching NFL history from uh, week one. So, um... (laughs) I still have the Broncos winning. Uh, I have them improving, uh, but I think it's going to be much closer than a lot of people think. I also thought Davis Mills did really well last week, so uh, I do have the Broncos, but I've got them winning this one by eight. Well, here's me to give you some optimism because I think the Broncos are going to romp at home at Mile High. I think it's going to be 31 points to 10. I'm not too far. Texans again, 10 points which is a lot of points. Um, I've got the Broncos winning 30 to 21. So I'm, I I suppose by my prediction, expecting the Texans to at least cover. We then move on to, (coughs) beg your pardon, we then move into somewhere in the desert. (laughs) We've got Arizona versus Las Vegas. Um, And the Cardinals against the Raiders. I think the Raiders will take this one. I I bet them last week they didn't uh, win it against the Chargers. But I think they'll come good. Uh, I think that Derek Carr will continue to improve. And uh, despite the fact I think the the Cardinals are a very good team, I've got the Raiders by one. I well, I also have the Raiders, but it's going to be twenty three twenty one. No Raiders by two for Dave. Oh well, guys, I've got them by three. <laughs> I've got twenty two to nineteen uh, for the Raiders. So there we go. We've Same got them by one, two, and three. Yeah. Uh, we then come to uh, a game which is traditionally very, very one-sided. Chicago Bears against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, do we think the Packers are just going to bounce right back with an angry win against the Bears? Yes, I think they do do that. Um, and I've actually got the Packers winning this one by 10. Oh, well, I have I have similar thinking, but I think it's going to be a lot closer. I, I don't think the Packers are uh, going to be able to 
quite protect against the rush. So I've got it a low-scoring game. I've gone 17-13 to the Packers. Well, the Bears are getting 10 points. The, the over's only at 42 and a half. I've got the, the Packers winning 27-16. to 16. We then move to the Tennessee Titans against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I think the, the Bills just continue from where they were last week. And I think, unfortunately, the, the Titans might continue from where they were last week. Um, I've got the Bills actually was one of the bigger wins. I've got them with a 13-point win in this one. Wow. Well, I have <laughs> I have the Bills winning 45-13 to 13 because I cannot unsee what I saw on Thursday night. Slavin nightmare. So the Titans are getting 10 points, which considering how good the Titans were, were they not the best team in the AFC last year? Yeah, number one season? seed. Getting 10 points against the Bills just shows how, how scared even the, the bookmakers are of the Bills. I've got them winning 26 to 20, though. And then we round up the final uh, Monday night game, which is the Minnesota Vikings at the Philadelphia Eagles. And... <clears throat> I've got the Vikings taking this one. I've got them winning fairly convincingly. I'm taking the Minnesota Vikings by eight in this one. Ooh, well, I've got it going to overtime, actually. I think oh. it's going to be 17-17 each with the Eagles taking it in overtime. Well, I've got the Eagles scraping a 24-21. to 21. Now, I was impressed with the Vikings, but the Eagles were my pick. Um, early on in the season. It's it's looking a lot better with the, the Cowboys stumbling and Dak out, but I, I will stick by my Eagles. Quite right, and so you should. Uh, and that's us. That's our quick fire uh, week two preview for the, the scores there. We will we are keeping track of who's right and who's wrong. I like the fact that Dave's gone for two overtime games uh, this week. That's his party trick. It is. And you know, like he was, he was Look, right I don't have much game. else, okay? If he's right again this week. He got one week, right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. If he's right again this week, then, you know, good, good God, who knows what's going to happen. Might start taking actual <laughs> tips from him. Uh, right. So, uh, gentlemen. We are, you know, nearly at the end of our podcast. It's been a longer podcast this time round, but I think we've all enjoyed it. So uh, we do have time for one final segment, and it is, of course, Random Stats. So uh, why don't I kick us off this week for Random Stats? Yeah. Um, and I'm going to uh, go back in time here, gentlemen, because I'm going to start with uh, one stat leading into another. Now... This has to do with uh, safeties, as in the the score, not their player. Um, now, the NFL record for most safeties in a season uh, by by one player is uh, two. Nineteen times this has happened. Most recently, G uh, Justin Houston in twenty twenty had two safeties in one season. Um, but then, if we go back to the very first time it happened in a game, we go to. October 21st, 1973. And uh, two safeties in a game by one Fred Dyer. Now, Fred Dyer was a fantastic player. He was a, a defensive end in the NFL. And uh, he played 13 years uh, with the New York Giants and the LA Rams. And he is the only player to ever score two safeties in one game, as I say, October 21st, 1973. But the amazing thing was, he did it in one quarter, and he actually did it on consecutive drives. So on this day, uh, Fred Dyer scored two safeties on consecutive drives. So um, what happened was, it was, uh, it was in Los Angeles, it was a 24-7 win over Green 
Bay. Uh, and down 20 to 7 in the fourth quarter, the Packers were deep in their own territory. Dyer comes storming in from the right-hand side of the defense and a sacks quarterback Scott Hunter for a safety. And in the following possession, he comes to again, goes through the middle this time, and takes down the backup quarterback, Jim Delgazio, for his second safety of the game and setting an NFL record, which still stands to this day. And he did it on back-to-back drives. So that was Fred Dreyer um, of the uh, uh, New York Giants and the Los Angeles Rams. And uh, two safeties in one game, only person to do it. Two safeties in one quarter, obviously, only person to do it. And he did it on back-to-back drives. And that is my random stat. I like that one. A Rams one. Gotta love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will go then. So, uh, Lamar, let me have a look. Actually, I've got I've got two quick ones. Uh, I couldn't decide which one. Of them. I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson, seeing as we were talking about him earlier, betting on himself. He's the fastest player to reach 10,000 career passing yards and 3,500 rush yards. He did so in only 59 games. And the next closest was Michael Vick, who did it in 68 games. So he continues to kind of set the standard for the kind of player he is, you know, kind of does a bit of everything. Uh, And like we have spoke about earlier in the news, he will continue to uh, push his own agenda and back himself. And hard to argue with the results. It is. I mean, we we spoke about um, two times about rushing quarterbacks. You know, Michael Vick. Uh, well, obviously, you know, prior to him, there was Fran Tarkenton back in the day, and you had guys like Steve Young and Randall Cunningham. When when Michael Vick came along, it was a, it was a different dynamic for the rushing quarterbacks. Uh, and then Cam Newton, obviously, his ridiculous rushing touchdown record. I forget how many he has now. 73, 74. It's unbelievable for a quarterback. But Lamar Jackson's just setting records left, right and centre. And when it's all done, I think it's fairly safe to say he's going to own every rushing record for quarterbacks. I was focusing on the, the young quarterbacks in our league. So that was obviously Lamar Jackson. Now there's Patrick Mahomes, one of six players in NFL history with at least six games or six career games with five or more passing touchdowns. Now he has played in 64 games. Each of the others to do so played in at least 240 plus total career games. Now the people on that list, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger and Dan Marino. So again, I was just highlighting the absolute ridiculous standard of the NFL these days and some of the premier quarterbacks in our league who just are, you know, sure there's more games now and it's a, a passer-friendly league, but they don't half make a mockery of some of these records. Did, how, how many games did he say he's played? Uh, let me have a look. He's played in 64 career games. And wow. all, of the, all of the others took at least 240. Yeah. <sighs> wow. I mean, I, I was saying when, when Jackson hangs him up, he's going to hold all the records. Patrick Mahomes passing. It's, it's something else. I mean, it's D- D- of- Dave, what, I mean, you know, we, we look at these, as Jake already said, obviously there are more games in a season, but on a sort of per game basis, you look at some of these records that are just tumbling and Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. is the guy uh, at the moment for records just being absolutely shattered. What, what do you think, Dave, about someone like Patrick well, Mahomes? 
Well, we were just saying about Lamar Jackson, you know, he's going to break so many records come the end of his career. Patrick Mahomes, hold my beer. This is that's exactly what's going to happen because they're the, between the pair of them, they are going to be the two elite quarterbacks of their generation. Uh, you know, obviously you've got some uh, others in the league like Josh Allen and Justin Herbert, but these guys are just different, different quality. Patrick Mahomes, like we we said it before, we we don't really think he's. It, it, we we thought he was going to slow a bit with Tyreek, uh, leaving for the Dolphins, but ha- not even a breath has gone by, and he's just doing it again and again. He's showing just why he's worth half a billion to the Chiefs, and yeah, he's it, both of them are going to be first ballot Hall of Fames, but Mahomes is just a special, special player. Good for him. Yeah, his first game with their tiny kill, and he goes for 360 yards and five touchdowns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just unreal. <laughs> like, what? Oh, that's just crazy. That's, that's um, some amazing stats there. Amazing. Okay, so my stat is that there are two players in the modern era to throw and catch a pass for a touchdown. Now, the first person to do this was Brad Johnson for the Minnesota Vikings against the Carolina Panthers in 1997. But the one I want to focus on happened in 2018 because this player is the only one to do it in a playoff game. Now, in that game, in 2018, it was the Tennessee Titans against the Kansas City Chiefs. So it wasn't Patrick Mahomes that was the quarterback. It was Alex Smith. Now, going into the half, the Chiefs were up by 21 points to three. But this play inspired the Titans to come to come back, completely shutting out the Chiefs in the second half to win 22 points to 21. Now, Marcus Mariota with a six-yard pass to Marcus Mariota to, to spike <laughs> this comeback. The six-yard, he was running towards. It, it, it was. Uh, it was. With it, I think he was he was obviously six yards out, but he was running towards the goal line to to the the line. He was about to throw it. He was running out of space. He threw it. It was batted down straight back to him, and he just wandered into the end zone for his own, his first reception for a touchdown. And obviously, he's the first player to ever throw and catch a pass for a touchdown, and that inspired a fantastic comeback with the fi- the final scoring play been a eye of the needle pass to Eric Decker for a 22-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter uh, with uh, with about seven minutes to go. So there's a plus point for Marcus Mariota after a pretty heavy week one to take uh, in this season. But Marcus Mariota, the only player to throw and catch a pass for a touchdown in the playoff. Exactly how we were of Job. <laughs> Just, I, I, I think I remember that play. Yes, he was like scrambling left, wasn't he? And yeah, he was it. scrambling but left. I, what I what I want is for a quarterback. Like, let's say you know that it's on the one yard line, it's on 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 the goal line, and his goal to go. What I want is for a quarterback to just kind of loft it up and then run behind <laughs> the defender and then just catch it. Can you imagine if he dropped that? Can you imagine <laughs> that would define a career? It does, even Lamar Jackson did that. That would define. He would. That's what he would be known for. He just. Oh, oh no, that's it, amazing! Oh, oh god! I would an love NFL that. player going for an alley oop to himself. <laughs> an alley oop to himself. <laughs> that would be something. I think it happened in a like an an Abbott and Costello film. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Oh, One of those old black and white Abbott and Costello films when they had the, the what do you call it the leather helmets. 
And I'm oh, sure yes. he did that in, in, in the film, obviously, because it's it's hilarious. Uh, I, I would love to see that. I'd just love to see. That, that's the kind of thing like Patrick Mahomes would do. Yeah. You know, he'd do one of those wee underarm throws and then duck under the defender and appear on the other side and catch it for the touchdown <laughs> to himself. I can, I can see him doing that. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, but I think if Marcus Mariota meant to do it, not only if if you want to take the basketball analogy, he would go alley oop it and then go for the dunk, hit the rim, and knock himself out. He would probably knock himself out trying to catch the ball. <laughs> hey, let's not, be... let's not have any hate in Mariota. He actually oh, he's the only no. one to do it. He's the only one to do it. One as well. He looked very good. <laughs> Yeah, he yeah. certainly did. Yeah. So. For, for a period, he did, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, big shout out, Marcus Mayota, for being a record holder, which we love on this podcast. We do love record holders. Some of the best people in the world are record holders. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much the end of our podcast. We're looking forward to week two. We cannot wait. Thank you so much for everyone who's put up with this to this exceptionally long episode of the WinFL show. Apologies for that. Half of that was my fault, talking about the Broncos. Um, so anyway, gentlemen, are we psyched for week two? More, more than I was for week one. <laughs> um, I don't know about that. I don't know about that with the the Saints having a, an interest in week one and then we've got to play the Bucks. I don't know if excited is the word, but I'm intrigued. Hey, you are undefeated. Technically, yes. Yes, well, not technically, you are. Just, just well, you are technically as well. But you know what I mean? It's, it's like, you want to know? You're undefeated. So there you go. Now it's, it's the battle of the undefeateds. Go in there and tear Tampa Bay a new one. So I want to well, see. we've got a good record against Tampa Bay, but uh, you know it'll be a good game. I'm assuming it'll be the Sky game because it's six o'clock and it's the Saints and the Bucks. Yes, I'll be of course it surprised is. if it isn't the, the, the Sky game. Um, but yeah, that, that should be a very good game. Some very good games, like I say, one we've just previewed there. Uh, just if it's anything like Week One, uh, we are in for a treat. So. We certainly are. And I'll, I'll be I'll be watching uh, Red Zone with bated breath once again, just marveling at uh, if, if we have half of the missed kicks that we had in week one, then I weep for the future of kickers in the NFL. I really do. Uh, so there you are. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, once again, Dave. Thank you very much for your time. That's all. Thank you for having me, Jake. Thank you again for your time. No problem at all, thank you. And if anyone's got any kind of feedback, because this is our first season doing it, this is our first review and preview, so if anyone's got any advice or, you know, constructive criticism is what we always enjoy, then please feel free. Get it in before the Rams kick off. (laughs) Yes, uh, you can get Nothing (laughs) after. You can get us at the WinFL show on Twitter. You can also find myself, Jake and Dave on Twitter as well. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening and for all the, the encouragement we've had. Big shout out once again to the guys over at Stramash Podcast. Always bigging us up. Really appreciate that. Cameron and the boys. So uh, thank you very much. And we will catch you on next week's edition of the WinFL show. <laughs>